Hey, Finn. Yes, you, Finn. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Just watched uh, Ocean's 12 last night, so uh, do, 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 doing pretty good. I got to see uh, Vincent Cassell do uh, do a whole bunch of like acrobatics and stuff. That, that dude's in incredible shape. Have you ever thought, I love Vincent Cassell, I love watching him do acrobatics, but I love him to do them underwater? <laughs> yeah, I have. Boy, do I have a film for you. Is it uh, Underwater? No, it is this... <laughs> Home fan edit I have made of The Little Mermaid 2, <laughs> uh, in which I have just taken a single frame of Vincent Cassell from Ocean's 12, and it, and it's just hit in every shot, yeah. I've hidden it somewhere. <laughs> like, sometimes it's obvious, you know, mm. Ariel and Sebastian are talking in, mm. on a giant edifice of Vincent Cassell, but sometimes just like if you look into King Triton's beard... <laughs> just peeking through <laughs> it's vincent cassell and my vincent cassell re-edit of the little mermaid is called the L- <laughs> the little mermaid irreversible or under the eastern promise sea is he in one of the born he, he's in the first born movie right? no no he's in the fifth born movie oh right yeah okay i haven't probably watched that one because i don't want to yeah. it, it's like fine right yeah it's, he- it's better than born legacy but not as good as the. First I've heard. Three. I've heard it other. I've heard it otherwise. Oh, okay. I've heard that it's the weakest. Oh, okay. Um, because I think I think just because it has Matt Damon, I'll probably and, enjoy it more and than Green Grass. Yeah, they're yeah. both bad. And Julia Stiles, isn't? But she's in all of them. I I I think she's I the know. person who's in all of them. Oh, okay. Maybe. And of course, Jeremy Renner, because in the build up to Legacy, it was all just a shell game up to Legacy. Yeah. You'll see that his character, whose name I presume is like Basin John. <laughs> um, it was it, one of two times Jeremy Renner was supposed to take over a, a espionage action franchise, and when the movie came out, everyone was like, no. I think that with the clear de emphasizing of Hawkeye across the Avengers, of Avengers films, mm-hmm. we can bump that up <laughs> to three. Yeah, but he's got he's got the Hawkeye show coming out now. Yeah, but it's got Haley Steinfeld in it and that, one other person who was good. But I can't remember. Um, but that is also going that's going to be the Haley Steinfeld show. I I hope so. Well, because it's all about it's, setting up yeah. Kate Bishop as young Hawkeye. Yeah. Um. Uh, so they can uh, form the Young Avengers. Yes. With, and then they can kill off Jeremy Renner and bring in uh, Jeremy Renier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's what you do. I. I just genuinely think, with, with the clear exception of uh, a despicably misguided adaptation uh, of um, the Vintner's Luck that he was in, mm. Jeremy Renier, oh, fuck, I love that guy. Yeah, he's real good. And he's just like, because he can do, like, the reason L'Enfant, the Dardenne Brothers mm. film, um, is maybe, maybe my favorite ever is because he is so good. Oh, he's just so good at acting. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is a film where he sells his baby, and it is gritty and realistic, but it, he just, he sell like, you are with, like, you understand why he does it. Yeah. And you understand that it's, like, it's so, and, and, like, the scene where he has to tell his partner that he sold their baby <laughs> is one of the most, and it is like one of the most upsetting scenes ever, and it's just watching two people cry. Yeah, and like so much of that is on Jeremy Renier, but also like in, in Bruges, he can be a cartoon character. Mm. Like 
God, I hope he's not a dick. Yeah. Jeremy, if you're listening, please stop it. Stop being a dick if you are. If not, keep keep it up. And like he Jeremy Renier, like La Promesse, which was one of his first films, but like as a kid actor where he's the lead, like he is as good at in that at the age right. of like fifteen. As so like fuck him. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Jeremy, if you're listening, yeah. I want you to take your talent and put it in the bin. <laughs> And then I want you to go get a fuck and throw it away because I want you to fuck off. Cool. So, Finn, I want to be... Uh, uh, you're listening to Shite and Sound. Absolutely. Uh, uh, my name is Yutha Shite. And I'm Finn Sound Nicholas. This is a podcast where we watch two films that are, that are connected uh, in some way. And I, I just became repeatedly aware today while we were watching two films. Sancho the Bailiff, Sancho Deo, Kenji Mitsuguchi's 1954 adaptation of a short story which is based on a legendary folk tale yeah and slumdog millionaire which is uh danny boyle's 2008 adaptation of like a 2004 novel uh based on who wants to be a millionaire's cheating scandal and, and i was just like uh does it because uh, I, I was the person who pitched uh slumdog millionaire yeah. mainly because I kind of want to talk about Danny Boyle, and I think a good way to talk about Danny Boyle is when he is batting less than 100. Mm. But I was also like, does this really seem like I'm just... I was like, ah, Sancho the Bailiff, that's Asian. Slumdog Millionaire, that's Asian too. Yeah, when you first told me, like, yeah, we should do Slumdog, before I knew what Sancho the Bailiff was about, I was like, what's you for up to this time? (laughs) Yeah. Are you back to writing his manifestos? (laughs) No! (laughs) I mean, I have written manifestos, but mm. it's largely about like uh, uh, personal emotional honesty in the creative process, mm. uh, and always making sure that when you start a project, you set a goal that is achievable within yourself, and so you don't leave to the hands of fate any kind of sense of personal acceptance of the success of a work. Cause, mm. um, that's imaging. So, like, because like when when we decided to start this podcast, I was like, my goal for myself in this podcast is to just slowly poison Finn over a couple of years until he dies. Um, but it'll, I'll do it so slowly it won't harm any of his organs. So then I've just got bare person, you know, mm. just for like like in the M- Michael Bay film The Island. Yeah. Um, or Michael Bay film Never Let Me Go. <laughs> Spoilers for both of those. Or the Michael Bay film uh, Pain and Gain. <laughs> yeah, that's what, like, that, they. Like, they kidnap Tony Shalhoub. I was going to say J.K. Simmons, but yeah, no, I, I, I believe it's Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, um, to to just take his organs, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Like that film is a lot of Mark Wahlberg just bellowing, "I need organs." Yeah, it, <laughs> it's the organs. Yeah, it's Michael Bay's Repo Men, starring Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker, <laughs> um, and Verissa in one scene. Oh, Rissa! You know what? A, what a scamp! Can I just say that I think Reza is maybe pound for pound my favorite well, person in the world? Please address him by his title, the man with the iron fists. I came of age uh, in a period where the where the Wu Tang Clan were kind of the ne plus ultra of hip hop culture, mm. uh, and, and uh, well, like of hip hop music. Yeah. Um. And in a way where, like, even now, I. Like, it's good. It's good pop hip-hop, you know? But also, like, 
He did the scores for Kill Bill 1 and 2. <laughs> he is in Coffee and Cigarettes, yeah. which the ultimate hangout film. Um, he directed a film called The Man with the Iron Fist. Which, which he also starred in. And wrote. Yeah. And isn't good, but you can tell. The thing about that film is not that it doesn't matter if anyone else thinks it's good. The Man with the Iron Fist is Riz's favorite film. <laughs> and not in that way where, we, where we've discussed and codified the law like we sh- you shouldn't know when a director is masturbating while watching their own work. <laughs> but it is just like, it is someone going, oh, in the sense of like the way that the first Matrix is, in a way, in that you're like, oh, someone, or in some people in, yeah. in, in, in the Matrix's case, um, but were just like what is the coolest thing and then they made it yeah and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks but also like he he recorded an album with paul banks the lead singer of interpol called anything but words they were called banks and steels and like i you know if i could define my taste it would be joy division and joy division adjacent <laughs> music yeah basically because joy division for some reason not recording anymore mm. haven't looked into it um and so the idea of this kind of set like yeah we've got uh got 15 days to go until uh, uh i'm officially uh older than ian curtis ever was when he what oh when, when he when he fell down a hole he's still down there uh as far as we know oh phew. unfortunately it's the sarlacc pit no no i don't want to do sales jokes so i'm i'm just saying uh, the connect I, I just want to knock on the head. No, the reason I chose Slumdog Millionaire uh, is that Sancho Deu, uh, as an adaptation of folklore, um, uh, is, is quite a singular narrative. Mm. Uh, it is quite hard to find direct comparison. Yeah, but, and, and the, the, the closest thing we have to modern folklore is who wants to be a millionaire. I mean, that, that was a joke I was building two yep. years. Thanks and for I decided to... Do it uh, probably slightly less well than you would have done. It. No, I think yeah, we yeah. we we're different. You know, there are different <laughs> levels of comedic intelligence. <laughs> sorry, different kinds of comedic intelligence. Um, no, I I just want to. Ca- I have a key point that I want mm. to restress. Check out the album "Anything But Words" by Banks and Steels. <laughs> That's Paul Banks from Interpol and RZA. It's I genuinely love it. Um. Maybe I am the only person who does, but like, no, um, is that in in Central Day, Central the Bailiff, um, uh, uh, two kids are stolen and put into slavery, yeah, which is also a, a plot turn in Slumdog Millionaire, and, and both films very roughly chart how people find their way out of that, yeah, and. I think that is an interesting comparison uh, to make. And the way that the films look at, these are both very much films, I think, that look at uh, the world they're in, which is to say, like, feudal-era Japan. This isn't, like, happening in Hamlet times. It's happening in Macbeth times. Mm. It's not happening in Macbeth times. It's happening in... Like, Julius Caesar? (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. It's weird, like, the Roman era is kind of not a period. You know how in your head you roughly have, like, a timeline yeah. of history? To me, like, the whole Roman era is like a little cul-de-sac over in the corner. Because <laughs> it just seems like a fantasy film that took place in the past. 
you know? And I want to be clear, that is because of how the West has ridiculously self-mythologized that self-destructive and fascistic regime to, to be. Yeah. Check out Ipodius on, on Max Fun. It's good fun. Yeah. I mean, also iClaudius. I don't know. I mean, it, there's a lot of second stringers in there. I mean, who wants to see a show with Derek Jacobi in every scene? Who in their right mind would want to watch John Hurt? I, here is the thing about Brian Blessing. <laughs> I don't want to see him on my screen. Uh, I find him uncompelling. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Steichen Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors, or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we watch number 62 on the Sight and Sound list, Sanshova Bailiff, Hinji Mitsuguchi's classic adaptation of an ancient Japanese folktale about hope in the face of overwhelming cruelty. Our second film this week is Best Picture Winner Slumdog Millionaire, objectively one of the 93 best films ever made. In America, or no, 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 because no, it could be in internationale. Because mm. because Parasite won one, yeah, and but, there have been Best Picture winners from like England, I guess, and um, and and France, the artist. Uh, mm. I thought they had American money in it. Yeah, it was also French, directed by a French guy. Yeah, but like, what? so was the Fifth Element. Yeah, Are you calling the Fifth Element a French film? Yes. Like Wolfgang Peterson is German. Yeah. So you're calling Dust Boot a German film? Yes. Uh, okay. So uh, Taika Waititi is a Kiwi. Yeah. So are you calling uh, Hunt for the Wilder People a New Zealand film? Uh, y- yes. Yes. I mean, oh, uh, yes. Okay. So. <laughs> so. 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 Volker Schlondorf <laughs> is a German director. So are you saying Young Tallis is a German film? <laughs> So Finn. Wilke Schlondorf. Werner Hertz. The thing about German directors is uh, they have my favourite names of anyone. Like Wilke Schlondorf, uh, Florian Hinkel von Donnersmark. Right. Werner Herzog. Jürgen Jürgers. Well, he's more of a cinematographer. But but yeah, Sancho the Bailiff is set during the Heian period of feudal Japan, which is like a thousand years ago. Right. And the film opens with titles that are like, this is a folk, folk tale. People know this shit. It's great. And it is from a time long, long ago before men were men uh, and, and things like that. And so it is very much taking an, uh, an outsider's view, Mitsuguchi obviously being a Japanese man, um, on the, the, the world he is discussing. Though, obviously, like you do that, and you also speak about the pre- your present tense, and I think there's something very interesting. Uh, half an hour later, to get back to my original point, compare that because because Danny Boyle is also obviously Slumdog Millionaire uh, was, I believe, 
partially co-financed with Indian film companies and it was produced entirely. It was shot in India. Yeah. Entirely in India. Uh, a lot of the cast are Indian. There is an Indian, isn't like native, like native yeah. Indians, not shipping Dev Patel in from fresh from skin, you know? Um, and in, in, in a lot of quite, of the quite prominent roles well as opposed to like having all the cast be english and then yeah have have all the background and, characters and having be, yeah. carl urban in it so yeah. it can still count as a new zealand film you know well, i'm talking about lord of the rings oh, oh right <laughs> right oh that that's 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 got uh tons of new zealanders yeah but like, carl urban is the like, biggest uh is the biggest one on uh, Brent mckenzie uh, uh Ar- 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 <laughs> no she lob Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was, was going to say Aragog, which is a giant spider from Harry Potter. Who's also a Kiwi. Yeah. Uh, it, it's great. Like, they're, they're, they're New Zealand's famous showbiz giant spider couple. <laughs> and you can barely... It's like, when you first move to Auckland, yeah, you're not really an Aucklander uh, until you've been walking through Myers Park uh, and, and seeing them spinning a giant, horrific, man-sized nest yep. while, you know, talking about what role they should take next. Exactly, and of course, uh, uh, of course, Ungoliant lives in uh, lives in Otago now. Well, yeah. Well, I went down to to hang out with Schmorg before Schmorg realized that he was, you know, mm. he was getting a a bit too too big for Littleton, <laughs> um, and, and so eventually moved down. He thought it moved to Arrowtown. And was like, no, that's uh, that's no good for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so then, of course, he just he just flew out over the ocean, breathed fire onto the water till it evaporated, till he got the seafloor, breathed on that until some magma came out and he formed his own island. Nope. Smorgland. That's funny. <laughs> it's like Smorgland. Yeah. Oh, okay. Retake. <laughs> hey, Finn, welcome to the show. Mitsuguchi is looking as an outsider at this era of feudal Japan, just as Danny Boyle, an, an Irishman, um, Making a film in India, primarily with a British production company, mm. is making a film looking at, at a very similar narrative in, in the broad sense. And I think like that's the interesting thing to compare between them. But so, so tell me the story of Sancho the Bailiff. So it is like here is this is almost like a trivia thing. Mm. Um, but a thing that interests me about Sancho Deu is that almost all international films, uh, which is, say, like, films that are not in the English language, because uh, uh, all films are international films, uh, the most international films being the two Thunderbirds films, because they're about international rescue. Sorry, there are three. I just remembered mm-hmm. the Jonathan Frakes one. Uh, my pick for the, the most international movie would be uh, the, the Peter Watkins film The Journey, which is, I think... Uh, Originally produced for like Swedish television and was produced in like fifteen different countries. And it's uh, uh, hey, hey, do you want, do you want to ask me how long uh, uh Peter Watkins' film The Journey is? How long is it? Uh, it's about fifteen hours. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah. On Wikipedia's list of the longest films of all time, it is uh, number three currently, unless there's been another long one come out recently. I and I uh, do I own it on DVD? Yes. Do I own it on Blu-ray? No, it's never been released on Blu-ray. Yeah, because they're, they're literally, there's just not a, there are not discs big enough. Well, also because it was made, it, it was, like, it was all, I think I think a lot of it was, like, shot on video, 
And so, because, yeah, I, I, like in the mid-80s, Peter Watkins was like, no, I'm a video guy now because everything I want to make is ridiculously fucking long, so it's cheaper to, to just use video. That's, yeah. that's how it is. There's not, 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 not a lot of good, uh, not, not a lot of good Blu-rays of his later work. Um, I think there are two really international films mm. you're skipping. Uh, Austin Powers? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> okay, there are three. Yeah. You caught one there. Austin Powers, gold member, obviously. <laughs> um, there, there's the Steve Coogan and Jackie Chan film Around the World in 80 Days. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and of, also the David Niven Around the World in 80 Days. Yeah, uh, and of course... And another Best Picture winner. <laughs> one of the 93 objectively best <laughs> films ever made. Along with Crash, <laughs> yep. Green Book, Wings. Yeah, Parasite. I love Parasite, yeah. but I prefer its prequel, The Host, starring Saoirse Ronan. <laughs> um, and of course, the other great international film is... The, the International. <laughs> Okay, another one. Is this punchline worth me getting up to it? No, it's not. I'm we'll warning out. you now before we get there. Well, look, it- as we were talking about in the cut segment, Yutha, and <laughs> the creator of a work cannot be the best judge of the best part of that work. Oh, yeah, that was, or maybe. I hope no, that was no, that's gone as well. Oh, yeah, because you were talking about, no, that might stop. I don't know. Maybe it's at the end of everything. No, but my favourite, and I think the most international film personally, is The National live at Sydney House. <laughs> it is very hard to watch that film without getting really international. Yep. Anyway, here's the like, this is almost like a trivia thing about, about Sancho, uh, the bailiff slash Sancho Deo, is that most international films, films yep. not in the English language, uh, that are in the canon, and this film, like, this is not in the fucking canon, it has been fired into another fucking <laughs> ship and taken it out in one go. Like this, this feels like one of the biggies. Mm. Uh, and like, show my hand up front, justifiably so. Like, sound. I, I am. Oh yeah, look, let's <laughs> let's jump the gun. This film, it's sound as shit. It's very good. I've I've had the, the Criterion of the Life of O'Hara for a while now. I was like, oh yeah, sure. I know it's gonna be good, but like, it's a, it's it's like a long Japanese movie about sad stuff. Uh, no, I'll get to it eventually. But now, I might get to it, like, tomorrow. Yeah, I have The Last of the Chrysanthemum, mm. which is another one of his films, and I'm going to watch that. I wanted to watch mm. it before this. But uh, it, yeah. uh, am I considering watching uh, all four hours of his uh, 47 Ronin? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do a double feature of uh, Mitsuguchi's 47 Ronin and Keanu Reeves' 47 Ronin. I just haven't seen the first 46. I'm, I'm going no, to get to experience all 94 film. of those Ronin. <laughs> I have not actually. I have seen the first Ronan film, John Reno film Ronan, and and I've seen the the, the second Ronan film, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, with Ronan the Accuser. Oh no! Uh, is that most international films like L'Enfant or mm. or Rosetta, but like Parasite? Yeah, is generally agreed upon. It is generally agreed upon as to whether the name in English is the English translation of the name or in like a, there are bright summer day cases where, right, it, yeah. where there's a n- different name uh, or whether it is uh, a, the, a romanization of the original name yeah. and Sancho, ba- Sancho the Bailiff and Sancho Deu I have seen used almost interchangeably. Yeah. It, it is 
like when you have to search stuff about it you have to search both and i just like i think that's interesting and kind of reveals how like there are oh, i was about to say like there are two films in this which is absolutely untrue <laughs> it's one film but it does like this is a film about dichotomies it's about pairs uh it, it's it's about this brother and sister their different approaches their conflicts but it is also about like the two sides of the world two forces but it is also like a oh, gritty is a terrible word but um earthy it is an earthy and realist exploration of like the detail and like in a folk story when you say for five years she had to weave carpets like what would that be like yeah. what would the monotony of that be like but it is and it is also like when it is outside it is beautiful natural light everything looking kind of like it's spontaneous like a kurosawa film which are which are so perfectly and meticulously lit to seem beautiful but spontaneous you know but whereas everything inside looks like ozu where everything is like portrait photography everything and, and with like this camera work that kind of veers between them uh of these still perfect frames but that are constantly creeping and tracking like the, yeah. the line you when you when you search for mitsuguchi the second line you know copied from wikipedia is like he is known for his long elaborate tracking camera shots and it is an interesting thing because I like I kept thinking about that and then watching the film and being like oh, I'm ready to look for you know what uh, the super long take yeah. the house burning down going through the kitchens the car attack yeah Ma- Matthew McConaughey and those guys going through the house and True Detective that film Woody Harrelson made live that was all one take yeah Woody Harrelson wrote, directed, and starred in a film that was originally broadcast live, the first ever live film that was all in one take. Mm. Yeah. Um, good, good, good for him. If Every scene in a Love Diaz film. Like, the single take is now such, like, a part of the language, rope, uh, uh, of film, that you're so used to seeing it and then knowing that you are seeing it. Yeah. You know? Whereas in this, they are all, like, zemeckis or spielberg style and like obviously it is the other way around they are clearly looking at this Mm. in that they are these moving intricate perfectly choreographed masters where it feels like the film is happening and the camera is always just in the right position it is always just tracking just a little just popping in popping out yeah he he, like yeah he he, he's moving like hey you guys you guys seen this uh you guys seeing how long the, this this take is? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's and, been it's been oh, it's been ages since I cut. You well, notice that? You know you notice that? Well, and then it's like the 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 actual longest take in Touch of Evil, which we'll get to when when we get to it. Which is everyone always thinks about the opening, but there are, there is one take in that film that is much longer, but you don't think about it because it just seems like a scene. So like right, in yeah. in Central of the Bailiff, I would be so sure I would be so sure that um you could tell me like oh you know this bit or like this segment because it's 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 a story kind of told like a fairy tale like a folk tale yeah uh in segments it's kind of i kept saying it felt like long and that's not bad but it's like it's under two or maybe just over it's uh, I, I, I i think it, i think it's just two it's standard movie length yeah 
but it has it keep it, it, it feels long yeah and which is not bad because it feels dense and that is because it is less its story art which we will get to <laughs> is is less than about like you know three acts than about like 12 10 minute long ones mm. like it, it feels like there are lots of mini stories within it um and you could tell me that one of those is all one take and i would go like oh yeah yeah but you just don't notice because you're not noticing in the best way yeah. like people say like you shouldn't notice cinematography and, and i think a lot of the time people saying that are people who are being unambitious mm. But in this, I'm like, no, 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 like, th- this is what you mean. And, like, I, I, I um, for various organizational reasons, I, I scrubbed through this film ahead of time to find the screen cap to use for um, uh, the feature image on Spotify and your various podcatchers. And, and as I was doing, as I was like, look at this film, it's, it's beautiful. Every shot is beautiful. When you're looking at, you know, I've just got it, I've set it on pause and I'm skipping ahead yeah. five seconds at a time just through still images. And that is, and I'm not about to call the film like beautiful and stills and ugly movement, but you don't notice its beauty when you're watching it in a way because you're so inside it. Right. Yeah. And, and so it is this like this beautiful thing that takes you in, this realist thing that is a folk tale inside is a portrait outside is real life that's what i'm saying when it is a film about oppositions and and how they meet and how you can move past in a world that demands opposition and cannot accept synthesis or art you know like because that's what this film is about it's about like when when opposing forces meet uh uh, what do they generate and how does that save the world And, and the answer is kind of I can't. Uh, so, with all of that in mind, then tell me the story of Sancho the Bailiff slash Sancho Deus. So, yeah, we're in Japan. It's uh, it's sword times. Everyone's got swords. Everyone. Well, a lot, a lot, a lot of swords in this movie. A lot of uh, swords attached to long sticks. It's, it's good. It's so hazardous. <laughs> I just there are so many scenes where you just have like a crowd of like twenty or thirty dudes, all with all with giant swords just running around holding them up like you were taught not to do in school with scissors. And you just... And there's a bit where, like, these guys are all running through, like, a gate at the same time, and it's like a Free Stooges bit where they're all trying to, like, barge through the door and they get stuck. Except they don't get stuck. And they're doing it with swords. And, yeah, my, my main response to that is, like, oh, you would just cut yourself so much. Yeah, or other people. And, I mean... Yeah, but it's the violence to me that I'm worried about. And that I just, but also that said, in sword times, I would not be one of the people with a sword. No. I'd be someone with two swords. Yeah, you'd be Leonardo the Turtle Man. <laughs> well, no, because I think the thing you don't understand, Finn, is that while you were out partying, meeting girls, yeah. getting swole, playing rugby, slamming back, Double browns, yeah, do it. Drunk driving, going to race, vroom, vroom. getting off your face on Molly, macking on a Chiquita. <laughs> <laughs> I was at home, and you'll never guess what I was studying. Uh, uh, astronomy, the blade, ah! the blade two specifically, <laughs> the, the best of the blades. I mean, it's not a, like a, like 
Blade 2 is the best Blade film. It is very much a like... Um, <laughs> in, in, um, is, is, uh, do you remember that name? In, 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 the, in the same way that, that Cars is the best Cars film. Yes. Do you remember the Nathan Fielder sketch? I don't think it's in Nathan Few, but it's on his YouTube channel, which is Canada's tallest person. But <laughs> no. it's Canada. A search for Canada's tallest person, but presented as a reality competition show. <laughs> and so you have a lineup of three people of clearly varying heights of which one is <laughs> clearly the shortest. Yeah. And they're like, I'm sorry, you are not Canada's <laughs> tallest person. He's like, I thought I really had a chance. <laughs> And that's what it is like. You'd have to be like, okay, Blade, Blade 2, Blade Trinity, Blade Trinity, I am sorry, you are not the best Blade. And you cut to a talking head of David Goya being like, I don't know what went wrong. But there's, there's so much more Ryan Reynolds in this one. Yeah. was And I, J- Jessica Biel? Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, playing a character who always listens to a music on her iPod while fighting, which yeah. is just a hazard. Because she's, she's cool. But in that talking head, I presume David... Uh, I assume she also wears uh, leather pants while doing this. But but I do have to say that in that talking head where David Goya is sad mm. that, that Blade Trinity is not the best Blade, he, he says, I, I don't know, I just I always thought that the best films were made under the conditions where the lead actor would not leave his uh, caravan unless he was being called by his character's name, Blade, <laughs> and refused to... To, to do any of his own acting unless it was specifically in a close-up, meaning that there are many like dialogue scenes where you can't see his face because it's his stunt double. Did did Wesley Snipes have like, I don't know, like alcohol or drug problems around this time? He, he had financial problems. Mm. I think he... Wesley Snipes feels incredibly attached to the character of Blade. Right, and I yeah. think that comes from a sincerely good place uh, of being aware of like Blade, especially as how is, he is represented, um, in 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 the first and second Blades, is as this idea of like peak cool yeah. and like crossover international cool. Um, I think it would be very easy to become very protective of that. Yeah. Um. Uh. As as an African American man, you know. Um, especially with the legacy of what happens to characters like that and that they are, you know, pushed to the side or degraded. Yeah. Um, and I think that combines with a, a healthy sense of um, egomania. And yeah, there, maybe there's some substance addiction in there, but I don't like, I think, I think it started in a good place, went to a better place, Blade 2, and then ended up, you know, fighting Dracula and Blade Trinity. Anyway, we're in sword times. We're in sword times. People are sorting it up, they're sorting it down, and they're sorting it all around. Yeah. The first thing we see is the governor of a, of a province. His governorship is being recalled because he is uh, too nice to everyone, and uh, who, he, he's too nice to everyone who he, uh, who he rules over, basically. Yeah, uh, he the, won't the, execute people, well, right? No, or he won't execute enough people? Nope. So there, 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 is, there is a war going on. War has been going on for quite a while. And he uh, he is being asked to to like submit citizens of his as as potential soldiers, and he refused to do it because his province is already incredibly impoverished, and his people don't have enough food, and so he he knows that everyone like everyone needs their families; they all need to be working in the fields uh, because otherwise, everyone because if if like if all the if like all the men are sent away to war, everyone will starve. 
which is also what another Japanese movie I watched recently called Onibaba is about. One presumes that that they're riffing on the same kind of folk story, yeah. like the same events recur across folk stories. Yeah. yeah, he is being stripped of his governorship and sent into exile. And on his last day before he is exiled, uh, he is he he talks to his wife and he talks to his his young son, uh, and he tells his son his motto that he lives by, which is essentially that like mercy is the most important thing that a leader needs to have. And well, not not just a leader, but like in, but like as a human, you cannot be fully human w- without a a like developed sense of mercy. Yeah, he he says um um a man without mercy is not a man, which is gender essentialist and, and is echoing uh that that opening scroll which mm. says this is the time before men were men. So it is it is saying there was no mercy at this time, not on a mass scale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and and that that's the problem. Yeah. And so he uh yeah, so his his family aren't allowed to go with him into exile. Uh, so yeah, so he 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 imparts this like last piece of wisdom to to his son, and he gives him, uh, 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 he gives him a a like box with a, with a figurine in it, which is a a carving of the goddess of mercy, which is like the kind of like patron uh, the, the like patron god of the family, and the, the, this this statue is a family heirloom, and he, uh, he yeah he then uh, uh, gets on a horse and uh, rides off into like in, into some other part of Japan where he's being where he's being sent and uh then then his wife and his son and his baby daughter and uh, and w- w- one of the servants they all start uh they all like walk off in the other direction yeah uh they're they're walking for like several days and they're, and they're running away right like y- yeah rather than be press ganged into the war effort. yeah oh and uh there's also a big scene where where all of the like townspeople try to come to his aid but he tells them, "No, you'll 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 just make things worse, and you you'll you'll be punished uh, like in 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 my place. Don't worry about me, essentially." And, and that is the the guy who's coming to replace them is like, "I will just order all of them killed." Yeah, and and that's what I was thinking of when I thought like he won't he won't. Yeah, but and, like he he yeah yeah. So the new governor like yeah he he says that, and he also issues a proclamation that it is uh, that that it is now illegal. Uh, to uh, 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 it is now illegal to shelter travelers uh, in 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 your house, and the 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 pretext of this is oh, there's lots of bandits and slave traders around, but really he's just doing it to fuck over this one particular family who are trying to travel through the like through like rural parts of the country, and they they they're on the they're on the run for several days. They're like running low on food. They have to build a shelter out of like sticks and and like and flax at, at, at night uh i mean uh uh what one 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 night uh they are found by a priestess or someone uh, posing as a priestess who says come back to me at my place you can sleep there for the night uh, i'm not going to tell anyone uh, so they go back there she's very nice to them then in the morning uh, she says that uh, she has uh, uh she, she has talked to some ferrymen and got them passage to some of them will be safe. Uh, uh, the the four of them are taken down to the waterfront, where the uh, where, where the mother and the servant are pushed onto a boat and taken away, and then the children are taken away somewhere else. Turns out these people were slave traders, and uh, everyone's a slave now, except for the servant woman who gets uh, pushed off the boat and just drowns. And it is, and and, and while they are just before this, they there's a bit of them like camping. Hmm. Uh, um, when, which 
it's a desperate scrabble for survival. Yeah. And a, and a thing that really interests me in how the, in this film operates is that we get the sequence of them like they need to cook dinner, they need to build a fire, uh, and the 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 servant and the mother are like ordering these kids around and are just annoyed by them, mm. you know. And, and there is a lot of, <coughs> and you know, the, uh, this film on top of its many other themes comments a lot on the role of women in quote-unquote traditional Japanese society, yeah. uh, which I only put those quotes there because that is a big issue that I'm not qualified to go into. Uh, and but and so, like, the mother's role a lot of the time is, like, she's introduced by just being like, now go tell your father goodbye. Mm-hmm. Like, she is, she's like the receptionist for the family. Yeah. Uh, and, and the kids are kids teasing each other, getting into fights, getting getting tearing trees apart yep. but there is immediately a sense just through the human persistence of Mitsuguchi's gaze how long he stays in these moments with them of even when they're sleeping in the the, the quote-unquote temple mm. the people we don't know are yet slave traders there's a scene of the servant the mother and the woman being a priestess watching the kids sleep and what they're saying is like oh the kids got greedy ate everything and now they're sleeping Ugh, kids these days yeah the exact line is the children have selfishly fallen asleep <laughs> yeah, but because we stay in that moment so long and we see how long they're looking at and looking after and caring for these children we understand that for the mother and like the servant there's not a moment and because this is, the servant leaves the film permanently being pushed off. Yeah. The search for the mother is what drives what is to come. But up until that point when they leave the film, there's not even a slight moment of like, oh, kids, calm down. No, I love you. Like, it's always combative. Hmm. But because of how much time he's willing to spend with them, he allows them to show us the affection there. And so I, what I'm building to is like that moment, the shock of that moment, the sudden action uh, uh, of that family being separated, being pushed onto the boat, and the kids being grabbed, it, it just has this massive impact, and that is because of all this invisible work he's done up yeah. to this point. Ah, uh, yeah, it sound. Anyway, sorry, I, I should not apologize for having insight on film on a film podcast, but like. You're doing a great job talking about the film as well. The kids are taken away. We don't see them ever again for quite a while. There's like this one particular guy who owns them, and he keeps on trying to sell them to people, but uh, yeah, no, like, no, no, no one's buying because uh, the, the kids look too weak and too sick. And he's like, "Hey, it costs like uh, four, four, four and a half silver for one of them, or or eight silver for two. Yeah. And some guy like looks a bit teeth and is like, "No, these these two are shit." Mm. And because I mean, they've been living rough for a while. Yeah. There's, there's time. Yeah, and, and then he... Oh, and I, I should also say, uh, b- b- like, between when they, they like, say goodbye to their father and when we see them walking around, there's, like, a four- or five-year time dash. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the, the, the sister is a baby at the beginning, but she, she's a lot older by, by then. Yeah. We should also uh, say what the kids' names are. The daughter's called Anju, mm. and the son is called Zushio, and... Yeah, so Yushio. and and he and he took takes all the lost boys, makes them eat. Um, oh, I thought you were doing a Yu Gi Oh. Invisible food, and then there's just some instantly dated skateboarding trick. Yeah, and then they play dual monsters. 
the card game from Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. Blue-Eyes White Dragon. Yep. You know when you get free Blue-Eyes White Dragons? We, well, and yes. you use polymerization? Yeah, no, yeah, to the point, not only do I know, yeah. is that I know we've talked about it on the podcast. <laughs> Oh yeah, cause I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I did a bit about that and talk about blue eyes shining, like blue eyes shining dragon, and, and yeah. now I can't remember whether I cut it or not. Uh, neither. So, in case we didn't cut it last time, I just want it to be clear. Finn loves Yu Gi Oh. He only has one tattoo, but it is a full body tattoo <laughs> to make him. Yeah, of a blue eyes white dragon. The face starts on my <laughs> face, and then the body kind of curls around my entire body. Like, I understand that you want to put your best face forward to the public, mm. but I have to tell you the honest truth, yep. which is that it is the exact opposite, in that the face, the snout of the dragon is your feet, and, and if you put your feet together, like, your hands making, like, a mouth, like that, mm. like, like doing a shadow puff, like clapping, clap your feet, the dragon talks, and, and that is why sometimes you are... Finn, Finn Nicholas, like normal... Finn Sound Nicholas. Oh, yeah, sorry, Finn Sound Nicholas. Uh, My legal middle name. <laughs> yeah, Finn, Michael, Sound, G, Hubby, Broccoli, <laughs> Wilson, Nicholas. Work at a, photo, uh, a home movie developing lab at, during the day, and of course at night you are performing a ritual to become the great white eyes blue dragon. <laughs> So he's trying to sell the kids to 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 this one guy. At this one, he's begging. He's like, "Please take these kids off my hand. No one wants to buy them from me." And and this guy says, "Hey, why don't you take them to see Sancho the bailiff, the richest dude around? He'll buy them. He loves to buy slaves." And the guy's like, "Oh, it's a great idea." So he puts the kids in the boat and rows on over to see Sancho the bailiff. The next thing we see is uh, we're at Sancho's house. The children have been bought. And they're, they're arriving. Then they find out that uh, this place sucks. Yep. Sancho the Bailiff is uh, sort of a, a metaphor for everything that's wrong with, uh, with, 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 with like, uh, Japanese leadership. Well, he has a very set... He is unswervingly addicted to the idea that he is correct. Yeah. In, in a way that is not like... He doesn't even have to stop to think about it. Yeah, and the fact that he has the ability to exercise power means that he should get to do that on everyone. Yeah. And the best way to exercise power is with the like maximum amount of brutality. And, and, you know, this is a film being made less than a decade after the, the Japanese government was... Parts of the Japanese government were very willing... And, and, and like especially the military yeah. leadership some parts of the military leadership Sean on YouTube has a great video about the dropping of the Hiroshima bombs yeah, it's, it's an incredible video which shows how complex but, but to speak broadly about a very uh, complex situation but like yeah he is making this film less than a decade after um, the, the Japanese government and uh, like people with power in the Japanese government Japanese royal family and the Japanese military were ready to just sacrifice citizens so that they didn't lose faith. Yeah. You know? And, and there, there were also, I have to stress, people who wanted to stop uh, and wanted to surrender. And, like, there was fuckery on all sides. If I was a country, I would not side with the Nazis. But also, 
there there are many things I would do as a country that Japan wouldn't like. You know, yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. I just don't want like, and, and it is hard to see this not in some way reflecting on that. Yeah, and, and like there is of course like a lot, like yeah, it, it, he's speaking to the present as well as speaking to the past. They get to the house of of, of the bailiff. They they see how cruel it is there. They are essentially split up. Uh, uh, where uh, uh, what well, well, what what's the boy's name again? It's Zushio. Right. Yeah, and uh, 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 they they are essentially split up with 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 Zushio being like sent over to like the like male side of where the slaves are and made to made to uh, you know, go out and collect firewood and do like blacksmithing and uh. Uh, carry dead people up a mountain, and Anju is taken over to where all the female slaves are, and made to like do weaving and you know wash clothes and stuff. Um, they are given uh, uh, uh new names. Yes. Uh, earlier, Sancha gives them new names, or the, the no. person who sells them gives them new. Uh, names? uh neither. There, 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 there is uh, some. There's what, what one, uh, one of Sancho's underlings. Yeah, no, no, his, his son. Oh, okay. Yeah, who is who is much nicer and is unwilling to exercise power in a in a in a cruel way. But he is also a filthy liberal. Like he wants to work within the system. Yeah, what he tells them is, you you just got to get through this. Maybe you can escape, but also maybe make your peace with this. Yeah. So they refuse to tell anyone what their names are. Partially just out of kind of like re- resistance to being enslaved, and also the fact that because their father was yeah. was a political figure, if people know who they are, it will make life more difficult for them. So yeah, so they're, they're oh not, yeah, that like they there is a clear threat that if people find out who they really are and who their father is, that they will be killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they don't tell anyone who they are until Sancho's son is nice to them. He takes them into one of the tents and gives them some rice and like wants to hear what their story is. And when 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 they tell him who who they are and why they are there, that's when he says, "Well, you you you're you're going to need new names." He tells Zushio that his new name will be uh, uh something along the lines of Mustasha Waka, which is the the name of the town that that they're originally from. And then the name that he gives to Anju is Shinobu, which means to like persevere through hardship. And then there is a, a 10-year cut. Now they're old. Yeah. They're older. And, and just as a brief aside, um, both of these films have do an incredible job of casting the same character across multiple, across each time, across three generations of mm. actors. Um, and that they all look like, especially um, Anju, middle Anju, and older Anju, look like i asked if they were the same actress because it does look like older anju just looks like the same actress but taller yeah right so yeah there's a there's a 10-year time dash yeah Uh, and so throughout this whole time anju has uh basically kept her her promise she 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 still believes that there is a way out of there and she 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 still uh, believes in her in 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 their in their father's teachings about about like mercy and kindness uh, uh, but on, on the other hand, uh, uh, Zushio, uh, he has become hardened and embittered by his time there and seeing all, all and like being exposed to so much cruelty. And, uh, he, he is now just sort of like a willing lackey for, 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 for Sancho. 
yeah, he beats the other slaves yeah. when they they go out of line. Like he's yeah. now. The, 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 there is a scene where where he is ordered to like brand a runaway slave, and he 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 happily like takes a yeah. fucking hot poker from a fire and presses it into the guy. Yeah, which is another scene that is echoed in Slumdog Millionaire, yeah. and it and it is it shows another again Mitsuguchi's this unflinching constant gaze that is that is like shifting. Just now, it opened the film to tenderness, now opens it to violence. Mm. Like, it is the sustained horror of what is going on, just sitting in these moments, the fear of this person being branded. Um, we, we see a little bit after this, we, we meet up with their mother, who has been uh, sold into sex work yeah. as, a, as a sex slave, and, and she tries to run away, and so they catch her, and... They, they they cut her Achilles tendon. And, and 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 that's shown by just this long shot, like she's dragged off, and then we watch people watch. And it is... And, and you hear a scream, and... Yeah. Oh, well, and it, it is... And, like, that is, like, how half of violence in films is, I'm aware yeah. that we're describing. But because we've been so used to the big spaces in this film... Like the like the time, the gaps, how it moves to be filled with moments of like intimacy or nature, slightly tender things. Mm. When it brings horror into those places, it is it is it cracks the world. Yeah, it, it is. It feels like it's betraying your trust in a way. Yeah, and and which like this film does see this violence as as a betrayal of trust. Oh. If you're a person in a position of power, you as I think I said last episode about the movie M. Oh no! About, about moving about the movie Metropolis. There is this dichotomy in the film where, it, like, it kind of wants to be about how you should treat about how workers need to be treated better, but also it it fundamentally believes that workers are stupid and deserve their lot in life. Yeah. Whereas this film, like, it it, it believes that people in power have a duty to treat those beneath them with 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 respect and dignity, but it also doesn't believe that they are beneath them. Yeah. Yeah. And no. it, this and, is a film about e- equality, and, and that that is like you know the man without mercy it is cowardly, right? And yeah. that all these inflictors of violence, like Jushio, has chosen the easier path mm. and lost his mercy, and that is just absolutely yeah, it's the, yeah, and and it, yeah, and and it is about how like pr- privilege is only like good so long as you are using it to lift others up. And once, like, what once you can no longer use for that, it is, it, it like, it, it can only drag you down. Yeah. Uh, and you hear a song. Yeah, she, she, she is in, uh, she, she, is, she is weaving one day. She hears uh, one of the other weaver women behind her singing a song, the lyrics of which are, Anju, where have you gone? I'm lost without you. Life is such a tragedy. Uh, Zushio, where have you gone? I'm lost without you. Life is such a tragedy. Mm. Uh, repeat. And, it is uh, like this is a very good movie, but uh, it's it is sometimes like hilariously maudlin, like not often, but there are like a couple of moments where you're like that's a bit that's a bit on the nose for for the sadness stuff, and I think the, the, I think the, the, I think the, this song I think the, the, this song is like a, a kind of like uh, I I I think it gets the job done. Oh no, like a, absolutely, and, and it is this film's dialogue is very sparse and utilitarian. And is about giving like in solid, 
but like it is it is it is the language of a folk tale and it is there to build a canvas for actors and a director to work on yeah and but it is also a bit like if and they're like oh it's a popular song this this woman sang it and so it is also kind of a bit like if it turned out that call me maybe was actually Carly Rae Jepsen's sincere attempt at a missed connections personal ad, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So once Andrew's heard the song and she she like believes that her her mother is alive again, yeah. like that 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 gives her the 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 strength to to want to like finally like take 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 a chance and and break out. And, and that is when that's the first time we cut to the mum. So like. The characters find yeah, out, yeah. work out that the mum is alive, then the film confirms it. Mm. So, like, we are always learning with the kids. Yeah. Yeah, she goes to Suzuchio and is like, let's get out of here. And he's like, no, we don't got money. It's too hard. Let's just get by. Yeah, we don't have a great here, but, like, at least we're alive and they're not killing us. And a couple of days after that, what uh, uh, one of the oldest slave, uh, slave women is dying and uh, because it like it takes up too much room and too much food to let someone just uh, die in the place that you've enslaved them, Zushio is told to uh, car- carry this old woman up into the mountains and essentially like leave her for the birds. And he has no problem doing that. He very roughly just like picks her up by her arms and slings her over his shoulder. It 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 it's almost funny, and like yeah. it is actually kind of funny, but it is it is horrifying. Yeah. Um. And you goes with. Yeah. And that they continue their argument all along the way. Mm. They are they they they're bickering and it is only when they go to break branches like they did to make a fire when they were kids. Mm. But now they are to, to cover this dying woman. Mm. They remember their childhood. They they reconnect. Yeah. And the they 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 also hear the song like off in the distance as a like sheer hallucination. Yeah, and, and we hear it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, 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 so 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 Andrew, uh, she uh, she like finally convinces uh, 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 she finally she finally convinces Zushio to basically run off into the mountains and hide. Well, he changes his mind. Yeah, but but yes, they they agree to do it. Yeah. And she, she uh, basically agrees to be a distraction for him and allow him to escape. She asks him to take the dying woman well. So they oh, right, right, yes, go yes. Together, and she will stay to distract the guard. Yeah. And, and Sushio's like, I'll come back for you, but uh, like everyone who agrees to be a distraction in a film. Sushio picks up the old woman again and, and, like, and walks off into the mountains with her. Knowing that there is a temple nearby that they might be able to take shelter at, yeah. And Andrew uh, goes back over to the people who were like guarding them up on the way up the mountain, and she says, "Oh, he's just over there, like finishing up some stuff. He'll be down in a second. That that they all walk down the mountain, and then the the guards realize that Zushi has been gone for ages. They send someone up to look for him, realize that he's run off, and uh, then they they sound the alarm." There is one of the other old old women who is told by the guards to keep an eye on Anju as the rest of them go and get more help. This woman is initially quite skeptical of of Anju and not wanting to help her, but then realizes, no, like this is this is this is her one chance to get out of to like get out of this life that I have no chance of getting out of. Yeah, and so she she hands Anju some rope and says, "Tie me to this tree, and and you'll have a chance to escape." So so Anju does. 
and uh, she walks off uh, down to a river, and uh, there is this shot where, like, because you've seen movies before, and you've specifically seen like Japanese movies before, there, there's a shot from like up on a from like up on the hill, looking down through the leaves on the trees, and you see Anju standing by the bank of the of the lake, and you're like, oh, she's gonna walk and drown herself. Yeah, and then she does, but it is like, it, it, but e- even though you know one hundred percent that that's what that's how the scene's gonna end, it is still devastating. Well, and it is so. Takes a while. Yeah. Well, like in the like, from the moment you realize it's going to happen to her being dead, mm. feels like forever. Yeah. And like you understand that she is doing this not because her despair is too great, but to protect her brother. Yeah. Like she is having to, and it feels like um, she is like it feels like. Part of the message that is going on here, the the commentary the film is making is about the constant sacrifices. Like, women throughout history have always borne the flame of progression and mercy better than men. Mm. As a general rule, you know, I do not believe Thatcher had girl power. <laughs> See, I, I do. That's uh, that's my only belief. Ask me anything. I Wait, don't... That's your only. Yeah. Okay, uh, ask me anything. I don't. I don't believe anything else. Uh, do you need air to live? I don't know. Okay, hold your breath then. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you made me do a retake on this podcast. Yeah. Audi- this audio podcast yep. to do a visual <laughs> an, joke, an entirely visual joke. But it was good. He pretended to be catching his breath in his hands, like uh, a deleted scene. From the end of the world. So, she walks into the lake. Drowns. Very sad. Uh, oh, yeah, no, but, like, women, yeah. like, in a broad sense, and especially, like, as a statement possibly against the then modern setup is, like, women are constantly paying the price for men. Yeah. She always held the dream, but he is the, ma- the one with the chance of escaping. And so all she can do is simply find... Hold hope, find a solution, plan an escape, and then let someone else do it. Yeah, and, and Virginia Woolf herself. Yeah, and, and and she also knows that like if 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 they if they catch her, she will be tortured, in you know, a very uh, horrifying and unpleasant way. Yeah, and 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 she'll give him up. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and yeah. So this is where all of the guards with swords they run run through the gate at the same time. Yeah. And, uh... It's so... Just, if you're out there and you're unlike me and have not studied Blade 2, um, just be careful with those things. Yeah. They are, and I'm not sure many people know this about swords, they sharp bug. Yeah. Yeah. Catch up nice and good. Fillet you like a fish. They'll quarter your pounder. They'll big your trouble in little China. <laughs> yeah. A movie with swords in it. Mm. Do you know what film doesn't have swords in it? Uh, uh, Chinatown. Yeah, my dinner with Andre. <laughs> yeah, get, like... no, no swords in that. <laughs> uh, like a Toy Story. <laughs> okay, my dinner with Andre. But I, I re- but 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 halfway through, there's a uh, there's a life and difficult <laughs> blimp uh, fencing scene. No, just when when Wallace John, you know, the second half of the film. Yeah. Uh, where Wallace Shawn is like, actually, all that stuff you've said about theatre retreats in Europe is kind of privileged bullshit. Andre 
Gregory. I called him Andre Previn last time. Mm-hmm. It was Mia Farrow's. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, um, is choreographer and and is the reason that anyway, uh, uh, yeah. To be clear, uh, if you're listening to this recording, because because cat, but like if you're an FBI agent or CIA agent, or if you're like you're deep in prism or at, at GCHQ. I want to be clear. I'm going hurt because of Woody Allen's actions. Uh, M- Mia Farrow's greatest crime was believing in love and supporting a family. Um, and uh, and her and her sisters. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's probably good. Never seen. It. <laughs> Never will. Yeah. Because you're blind now. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you should have studied the blade. <laughs> um, but you do that with your fingers. <laughs> yeah. Like. Like the Three Stooges. The first thing you learn when you study the blade, too, is that everything is a blade. <laughs> this tangle teaser, all of those blades. Yep. This uh, big lighter. We call that a flame blade. Yeah. Ooh, 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 ooh. The fingers are the a best bl- blades you have. Usually, you can only hold. Look, if you're holding swords, you've got two at once. You go on fingers, you got ten. Okay, I want to be clear about something. Your standard person is, you know, any Tom, Dick, or Harriet uh, could hold two swords, one in each hand. Mm-hmm. What really skilled people like me do is two in each hand, like I'm double Darth Maul. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just, just spinning them <laughs> around and like... I have got, I've replaced my forearms, <laughs> so you do not okay, so, so Right, so you're a double dark maul, which, which, which just means like General Grievous. <laughs> they have seems so, I, do, I have the cough. Yep. I love saying. Yeah, you've, you've got a robot cough. <laughs> I love saying, <laughs> I love saying hello to Ewan McGregor. Yep. Um, I mean, who, who doesn't? I I, yeah, I I know Mary Elizabeth Winstead does. I'm I'm, um, <laughs> I'm much, uh, pro- probably probably his his ex wife did as well. I'm, I'm much better received when you can <laughs> when you consider um, my appearances in animated series. Yeah, I'm a lot like General Grievous. Mm-hmm. Crazy, crazy. Do, 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 yeah, do, you you do, you do. you travel inside a big uh, like a spinning disc. I thought that was oh yes yeah yeah, yeah in like a. A gyrocopter. Yeah. yeah. No, because Obi-Wan Kenobi is riding the, the, yeah. the Shami Leon, yeah. What a film. I mean, what a film, question mark. <laughs> a film uh, is a sequence of pictures presented at speed to simulate motion, examples of which include uh, Star Wars hyphen episode three colon remember It's war, exclamation mark. Now we do single take. Christopher Lee here. Oh no, now they're too Christopher Lee, but dead. I'm Anakin. I'm so broody. Walking down hallways. Oh look, I'm gonna kill a kid. Natalie Portman got so sad she died. The end. He's holding up the flame blade like he's at a a concert. I I, I did just think of the one thing that's not a sword. <laughs> Door. Guitars, because they're axes. <laughs> Jusha has escaped. After he like walks off in, in, into the mountains with, with the old woman on his back, 
we 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 basically don't see him. We uh, we 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 just see all, all the guards who are following him and searching through searching through the mountains. They eventually get to the monastery that Zushia was supposed to go to, and they're running around with torches and they're shouting stuff. Uh, but the the like uh, lead priest uh, won't, won't 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 let them into the monastery. Yeah, because from- because it's an imperial monastery, so they're not allowed in. Yeah, and and before they were like Keystone Cops, mm. uh, as we we're talking about. But in this bit, because this is at night, they've got torches. They are very much angry village hunting Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, and 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 also ju- just like they're very cavalier with the swords, they are just ho- they're holding these torches and just walking into rooms that are made out of wood and rice paper. And there's there's one guy who's just like standing in a doorway with the like wooden frame above him, with the torch, with the flame just like going onto the wood for like a couple seconds. And he, he doesn't even seem to like worry about it, and really, that was the most that was the most tense part of the entire movie <laughs> for me. Was just seeing this guy like, "Oh, you can you can set it on fire? Don't do that! Don't don't do that, you fool!" Anyway, the priest won't let them in. <laughs> the priest won't, great segue. The priest the priest won't let them in. He's like, "Hey, go away!" And then one of the other priests is and like, like, "Hey, it's over there. I see him going that way." And they're like. Yeah, and then cuts inside. Oh, it's Zushio. He's in there. There's the old woman as well, and he tells them all about his troubles. And- I was a fancy boy. I was a slave. I'm very sad. And the priest says, "Well, I'll give you a. I'll write you a letter that you can give to like the prime minister or some shit." Yeah. Also, Taro is there. Sancho's son. Oh, that's who that was. Yeah, and then right. he's like, can you take care of the old woman? And he's like, yep. And because the old woman, now she's been given medicine, not really at death's door. Yeah. M- more in at the door of getting better. Because mm. uh, maybe don't leave people to die. Mm. Right, yes. Yeah, so I, I didn't recognize that guy because he was wearing a hat before. And now he's just, now he's wearing a bald cap. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, because he's a monk now. Yeah, 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 and and a lot of this film's arc, no, this feels dismissive of a cultural practice, but a lot of this film's arc is about who gains and loses hats I'm, at I mean, different times. I mean, yes. They'll go to hats in the Belfry and get cool hats from uh, like a 25-year-old Paul F. Tompkins, and uh, then the movie's over, they all have a hat party. So he basically gets this, this like letter of recommendation from the from, head priest, from, yeah. from head priest, and he talks to Sancho's son, who says, like, don't bother going to the city. It's just as bad there. People don't care about human life. Everyone is, everyone's shitty to each other. They're, they're not going to listen to your problems. I, I should know. I tried it. Yeah. Like, I, like I, I, I went there to try and get the slaves freed. But, but like, nothing worked for me, so I just became a priest. And, and that's what Yusho is wanting to do. He wants the letter so he can go and be like, look, I'm someone. Yeah. Which is, like, the film doesn't think that's an unalloyed good. Uh, you know, slaves, they're not having the best time of it. Can we make it better? Um, but the advisor finally, oh, no, no, no. The, but the priest does write him the letter. Yeah. And, and so Zhuxia goes to meet, like, the the chief advisor of, yeah. at, in the city. Yeah, he, 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 he yeah, he, he, he travels on foot, like, all, all the way to Kyoto and... He he tries to gain an audience with with this guy, but uh, but but because he's just like dressed like some some sort of slum dog, yeah, he's uh, 
he like his his pleas fall on deaf ears, and as and this guy is just like casually going for a walk as Zushio screams like just like please please help me I need I like I I have this later I'm I'm the son of an important person I need your help I need your help yeah and and, and this guy's like guards guards take him away and and he is um oh like my Japanese is not so much rusty as like literally a, a thing I studied for one term uh in the year 2001 right yeah um and like but but what he is doing is that he's trying I believe mm. I'm so sure I might be wrong about this but what but what he's doing and trying to make this introduction that he's going up and he's like offering the letter mm. and trying to do like the proper yeah formal introduction but because he is like you know Ohio Gazimus and then like the other stuff that follows like proper hello greetings mm. well met sir um eh, but he is so panicked he is just bellowing this fragmented formalized greeting mm. over and over again yeah and, and he's just becoming more like more and more like manic and desperate yeah. as the scene goes on and, and it is definitely the best performance of like just incredible mental distress yeah that i have seen since Alison hannigan cried because um dan Aykroyd wouldn't believe that kim basinger <laughs> was an alien um no it, it's better than that it's yeah. just it is and it is that thing of like in a film that is often even in its most violent or upsetting moments uh very subdued and like literally quiet mm. like we real i had to turn the volume on down when we went over to slumdog millionaire because it was too loud yeah. <laughs> um just this man just yelling and how it just like trying to like the desperation of him with the formality is once again these two opposites that cannot meet and they and they collide and they just seem to crack and kind of like break the film yeah. and it and he he's shoved in a little prison cell for a bit yeah um oh and when they're putting him in the prison cell they find around his neck the metal container with the carving of the goddess of mercy yeah and they believe he's stolen it because he's a poor person, so he couldn't have anything. The goddess's fancy. name is Canon. Canon, right? Just, just so yeah. it, it, it's in there somewhere. Yeah, and yeah, so they they like rip, they like rip it off of him, believing that he's stolen it from from the house or something, and uh, then they 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 leave him, and then they they come back the next morning, uh, and uh, uh, they tell him that the the chief advisor wants what uh, wants wants to meet him, so he he he. He goes in, and turns out the the chief advisor has has like has like read his letter, and but 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 like the 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 actual thing that that got him noticed was this what 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 was this uh, this this carving? Yeah, because because anyone could write that letter. Yeah, you know. But this carving, the chief advisor recognizes it as as an heirloom of of the, of this former governor's family. It was given to Zushio's family by an ancestor of the chief advisors. I know. I thought by the chief advisor himself. No, no. He he says like it was. I I, I believe he says it was oh, yeah. given by like by, by like one of his predecessors or something. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, about because of the great sa- sacrifices his father uh, and his father his family has yeah. given, and then he's like, first off, I've got some not great news. Your dad's dead. Yeah. Which it's, oh, it like, I kind of assumed, you know, but like, and it's still, and, and then it's like, do you want to be governor of Tango? Um, and, and, and Zushio is like, what about, what about, you know, cash? 
or Satan. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the the, the and, and the, Tango is sorry is mm. the is the is the is the 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 province that most of the movie has been set in. Yeah. It's the province where Sancho is is the is the bailiff. And and like the governor of Tango has been cited before by Sancho as the person who gives him his power. Yeah. Like this is a real flip reversi. And like describing it, it sounds like, oh great, a happy ending. And yeah. then and then uh, uh goes and is like, stop being mean and well, well, like, happy it, 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 in, in in the like scene where he is given the where he is like officially made the governor yeah. by by the chief advisor, he says, Oh great, now now, yeah. now I can go and free all the slaves. And the chief advisor's like, No. <laughs> what are you talking about? Those those slaves are on private land. You have you have no jurisdiction over them. Yeah. You 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 like you you should know that if you want to be governor. And Zucho is just say Sure, but you asked me to be governor, and you knew that I didn't know anything about being governor. <laughs> like, I found out about this job yesterday. <laughs> uh, um, I've spent the last 10 years as a slave, but um, he has now been made governor. He has a cool hat. He rides back in, into the province and meets with all of the, like, important men, the, the important, like, uh, uh, the important, like, government officials, and he says to them, I'm issuing a proclamation. The slave trade is to be prohibited. And all currently slave peoples are to be freed. And he he makes clear on public and private grounds. Yeah, like he is he he he's yeah. And and yeah. and a and uh, uh and and one of the like local judges who is now one of his advisors uh says like no this is gonna this is gonna go badly you like you legally aren't allowed to do this and this will make Sancho very very mad. Yeah. And and Zuccio says, uh, cool. Yeah. So, so he 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 gets signs printed uh, and set up all around the province, uh, saying that all all slaves are freed now, and uh, 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 and and when Sancho and his men uh, see see this, Sancho tells them to go and destroy all the signs they can find. So then there's a montage of them like running around the countryside, just like beating up peasants and yeah. and knocking down signs. Uh, it's 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 there's some you know it's really taking it to authority there's a real sense like exit through the gift shop energy to the yeah. scene yeah I, I, i've i've always thought of sancho the bailiff as a real mr brainwash <laughs> <laughs> but so they've torn down Zuccio's signs yeah and 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 then and then i mean Zuccio, because he now has like an army he's he 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 like gathers all his troops and they they ride into sancho's uh, compound and if and at first, uh, uh, Sancho is is very nice because he's trying to curry favor. And then Zuccio is like, "Don't you recognize me? Yeah, I'm that uh, guy you you used to own." And Sancho is like, "Oh yeah, hey hey, how's it going? Hey, sorry I used to own yeah. you, uh, but it's, it's cool you're you're here now." And then Zuccio basically is like, "I'm not here for pleasantries or anything. Uh, I'm here I'm here to arrest you. Yeah, guards take him away, and he he gets like grabbed and tied up with rope." And there's a big struggle as they try and drag him off. Yeah, and 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 then Z- then Zuccio goes outside and he tells all the slaves that they are free now. They they can choose to stay there and work as employees if they want to. Yeah, or or they can uh, go back to their their real homes. Yeah, uh, I mean he asks around the compound for where Anju is, which uh, is uh, with the shift with him hi- with us not seeing him hiding in the um is running away. To uh, uh, and this because we know, like this is, we realize that the perspective of the film has always kind of been like 
Zhusho is the lead because mm. this film was made in 1954 and, and men are still the default lead of films. Yep. But Anju was the viewpoint character. Mm. The film knew things when she knew things, cutting from her finding out about the mum to the mum still being alive. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, and then as, as, as Zushio becomes the only, as she leaves the film, we, we, sometimes we don't know what he's done. Yeah. We don't know where he's hiding. And now we know something before he does. And that is, like again, like a major shift in how the story is told. Mm. And but it, it it is not it's huge, but it is subtle. Yeah. But it is part of this escalating feeling uh, of doom. And as much of this ending is, in some ways, kind of like the happy ending of a folk tale. It feels like there is no victory in this. Um, arresting uh, Sancho should feel. Um, and they burn down his house, yeah. you know? Um, uh, Sancho is exiled, and it should feel great, but there's just this feel of unleaded, unknowable, horrific doom. Yeah. Uh, as we, uh, and, and, like, part of that is compounded by just watching him learn that his sister, he works it out. Yeah. That, that she killed herself to save him, and, and then he immediately uh, quits his job and yeah. is like, yeah, he 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 like Don't goes back so. to his governor's like uh, to 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 his governor's quarters, and he 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 calls him the the the, the judge who he was talking to before, and says, uh, "Great, all, 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 all the slaves are freed now. Uh, here here is my letter of resignation. Also, uh, can you make some travel plans for me tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm going to go try and find my mum because he 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 knows the uh, he knows the name of the island that she was on. Well, yeah, because that's what Andrew worked out. Yeah, that. Yeah, and so the the like plan from the beginning of the movie was for them to reunite with their mother and father. Yeah, and then he escapes and he finds out that his father is dead, and 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 he says to her chief advisor, you know, well, it's it's sad my it's sad that my dad is dead, but but like, but my my mother and my sister are going to be so happy that that I've that I'm that I'm the governor now and I can free them. Yeah, then he finds out his sister is dead, and his his like looking for his mother is all he has left. And, and yeah, he he's he's going to to Sado. Yeah, he has given up his governorship. He has given up yeah. any money or title that he has. He is like as penniless now as he was when he was on the run from Sanjo. Yeah, um, he is. Uh, Danny Boyle rejected a knighthood, uh, and, and he said it is because he is very proud to be an equal man, mm. uh, and like it's that. And mm. and. Uh, uh, yeah, like it, it, and it, he it was is, like, "That was the whole point of my Olympic ceremony opening is that we are all equal, which is a really, like, I mean, cool. I thought the the point of your was opening, to have Mr. Bean do weird stuff and, and have like a bunch of Mary Poppins fly in. Yeah. Anyway, um, but he but he's going to start thinking his his mum is there, but still a courtesan, you know, yeah. like he 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 thinks he's going to find her, um, and she's going to be great." But he goes there, overhears a man uh, who, uh, who says, uh-oh, she died in a tsunami, and we don't know if he's right. And so he goes on the beach, there's nothing he can do to right any of those things. And like, it's still good what he's done, and it ends on this note. Anthony Lane, first trap New Yorker film critic, uh, wrote a profile 
on 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 Mitsuguchi uh in in the New Yorker uh in which he wrote I have only seen Sancho once a decade ago emerging from the cinema a broken man but calm in my convi- conviction that I had never seen anything better I have not dared watch it again reluctant to ruin the spell but also because the human heart was not designed to weather such an ordeal and like I like he likes that film this film more than I do but yeah. it's a matter of degrees and I understand that feeling coming out of this this almost of any of the films we've seen so far is the one I am the saddest like you know yeah dear the film festival um if if you put this on in the civic you you've sold two tickets yes oh no like three I'll drag Briar along and be like uh you'll love this it's in Japanese and relentlessly sad um yeah and like i yeah i i i don't feel the same way about anthony lane does about this film yeah but like i i can i can see why someone would and i i i, I kind of wish i had had that experience with, with it because like the ending scene is like incredibly powerful yeah but it's not something that makes me feel like like i'm never going to be happy again sort of thing but it's it's a it's a beautiful and incredibly impactful ending to a film. Yeah, personally, like it's obviously sound. We've already done that. Yeah, but it is a film that I like appreciate and engage with more than I feel very deeply. Yeah, and I think that part of that is that, of course, like I agree with everything it's saying, and this is a film that needs to challenge you. It it it, it is from a folk tale, and those exist to teach morals. Yeah. And moral standards have shifted and, and are different across the world. And I feel like if this film was confronting me more, but it's not, it's not made for me. Mm. So it, like, it is, I can absolutely see it as successful while also, um, you know, like, yeah. you understand what I'm saying. The thing about the feeling of it that I think is really interesting is that it, it does so much so well towards this. So there are so many films that speak to or respond to folklore mm. or based on folk tales, and they are always kind of doing that in quotes or uh, as a thing to respond to. But like how this film moves is happily in like playing the folk tale and playing its reality, and they both feel as real as each other. The yeah. the final moves the plot goes through feel both like the conclusion to a story that is there to teach you a moral and as a complete and sincere personal character art yeah um and that i think is is very special and like i i wish i could be um a japanese person in 1954 seeing yeah the audience for whom it is as much as it is a, as a film that i know is brilliant rather than strongly feel. I still think this is amongst the highest tier. Yeah. And I would say that it's kind of undeniable, you know? Yeah. So I went on the internet looking for the only thing you should find on the internet, which is people that agree with you. And I've found something quite horrifying, which there's a a social media platform called letterbox.com on which uh, various, like, worst people in their friend group uh, uh, post their opinions on on various uh, motion pictures, and I found uh, Damien Dichev uh, had the wrote a one and a half star review, 
of Senshu Deyu. We should say that like, usually in this bit, we read a half-star review, but uh, there, there are no half-star reviews of Senshu. Yeah. Which is kind of like evidence of how undeniable it is. Even if you don't like it, you, you can't be like, yeah, this is the worst thing ever. But it so easily could be. Like, there are so many, like... Oh, yeah, like, there are, like, half-star reviews of, of like, seven, of like seven Samurai and oh, on, yeah, on, yeah. on Letterboxd. But it, it is also, like, its undeniability is also in the invisibility of its craft. So many of the undeniable films are showy in mm. some way. Yeah. And this is resolutely not. Like, yeah. there are moments of violence, but people being pushed into a boat is the one that hurts the most, you know? Yeah. In some ways, this feels like technically kind of less showy than, than like an Ozu film. Because yeah. with, with Ozu, like, it, it is kind of in your face how, how much of it is, like, it is all, all on the same level and not moving the camera. Whereas this, this feels... So much more more like natural than 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 what Ozu is doing. And like, if you weren't reading the subtitles, this film could be boring very easily. Yeah. And, and like the fact that there aren't, and, and as we'll see from this review, that, that that there aren't even really people that no one is all down on it. Yeah. Like speaks to how like I've been worrying so much as I try to develop work. Of just like how subtle can you go, or like how much, like when is it worth it? Like because there becomes a point when you're just doing work for yourself, and like this is a film that seems full of exercises that are just done for a writer or director's self, and, and I think there are many things in it that feel like carryovers from from things like a the one second um that I I kind of I get the feeling that Maury or Guy who wrote the short story that mm. the film is adapted from and the short story adapting the folktale. Yeah. Um, but that that is kind of undeniable, even though it is invisible work, is heartening to me, you know? Yeah. Anyway, Damien Dichev says this. I don't like this. It's a Criterion classic, sure, but it feels so hollow. I understand the depressing, harrowing atmosphere it's setting, the hopelessness of the lonely children who need to survive in a corrupted, ugly world. But I just really wasn't invested in any of them. Long shots are beautiful moving, but I learned nothing about the characters. And to be perfectly honest, aside from cinematography, all the movie has left is characters. Ones that I found pretty bland, with questionable motivations. I like the message of sacrifice in the face of overwhelming odds, not just in the physical sense, and that's about it. I suppose I'm missing something. And if it's somewhere, but if it's somewhere there and two hours of people start staring sadly off camera, I think I'll live without it. And it is like, I don't think that's a one and a half star review. <laughs> like, I think he is marking it down, you mm -hmm. know? Like, I, and that is someone I just not vibing with it. Yeah. But they're not denying it. But also, I look at their top four films. Yeah. And, like two make me think they have exquisite taste one i don't know but like i don't i have not seen so i don't know right. and one just makes me question whether they should be allowed to watch films at all right so one it's a trilogy is this one of the exquisite taste ones right which part of a trilogy is it all three but mainly the end it's a bad look 
I'd like to cook this film a pasta dinner. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. aware that this is the most cryptic clues I've got yeah. on you. I'm just like, but I is, think is you da- can. Is Daisy Ridley in it? <laughs> oh, not at all. Okay, good. That, 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 she would not yet be alive. Okay, okay, no, good. This is this is that's what I associate with pasta dinner. No, no, no. Like, no, no. But like, what's a pasta dinner? What could a pasta dinner be? What could the meal be? Uh, Italian. <laughs> is it, is it like, Godfather Two? No, no, no. But like, it is Italian. Oh, okay. But specifically, what could the pasta be? What are kinds of pasta? Spaghetti. Yep. It's a trilogy, oh. and it's right. Again, the, the, it's the, a bad look. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The next one, the other exquisite. A taste one. You've seen it recently. One of the few films. Ocean's Twelve. <laughs> uh, no, the title is in the first person. Okay. Or it could be like the title of a poetry collection about uh, how to connect bits of wood and your face <laughs> from the eighties, but set in the sixties. Depending on definitions, there's between one and three Doctors Who in it. Oh, oh, oh! It's with Nail and I. <laughs> And I'd just like to remind the audience that uh, Richard Griffiths was the front runner on the list because uh, if they had made a 28th season in 1990, mm. but instead they were put on hiatus that, you know, lasted, um, Sylvester McCoy was going to leave at the end of that season and top of the list to replace him was Richard Griffiths. And of course, uh, uh, Richard E. Grant has been the doctor twice, yep. uh, both times out of canon. <laughs> um, but yeah, any. Scream of the Shalkers, one of my favourite pieces of web animation where the first line contains a mispronunciation of a New Zealand place name. Oh, right. The next is a name, it might be foreign or could just be onomatopoeia. It is <clears throat> French from 1955. Rafifi. Ding! Right. I just bought that on Blu-ray yeah. recently. I've never seen it. <laughs> Why? All your blind buys. Yeah. Um, a blind, an eye for an eye, and the last one is like of all of Guy Ritchie's films, The Gentleman. No, 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 King Arthur. I don't think anyone should have a Guy Ritchie film in their top four. And I like there are guilty pleasures yeah. in in Guy Ritchie films. And Man from Uncle. No, no, the, but this is the one where I'm kind of like, oh, maybe. Uh, it's an early joint. Uh, uh, Snatch. Yeah, Good the Bad and the Ugly Snatch with Nell and I and Rafifi. I can see why you look at Sancho Deu and are like, you know, this doesn't have enough motivation for its characters. No. The motivation for the characters in With No and A boils down to the bit where Richard E. Grant drunkenly says we've gone on holiday by mistake. <laughs> That's a film with almost no stakes. Oh, no, but... but... But, like, there's a lot going on in that film. Well, do you know what... Okay. Do you want to know why With Nail and I has no stake? Because when it was written, uh, he wrote it first as a novel and then right. he adapted it into the screenplay. Um, it, it started with With Nail threatening suicide. And so I, throughout, is just essentially trying to keep him alive right. indirectly. Yeah. And then it ended with With Nail committing suicide. And one of the last changes to the script before shooting was removing those scenes. Oh, okay. And, and so that is like. So much of I's personality makes sense if he is just desperately yeah. trying to keep with Nail alive from killing himself. Um, but also, you don't need it. No. Like it, uh, it works as it is. Yeah. And uh, Accident Black Spot, these aren't accidents. 
throwing themselves into the road gladly. And also, like, definitely my favorite film in the Wayne's World universe. I'm sorry, I have to pathetically drink this overfilled coffee, so just... Right. I don't know. I'm going to just do a live commentary. He's he's just... No, <laughs> I, 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 don't I, make I, me I, laugh. I, 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 <laughs> there we go. And, and it, it, it was... As, as as you said it would be, pathetic. <laughs> yeah, but there was not an alternative, and it is close to, like, every piece of yeah. technology I own. Do you know how much I spent for this camcorder? Uh, $1. Yeah, $1. Yeah, I saw your tweet about it. Yeah, it's, it, oh, and it, it just, it looks exactly as bad as you want it. Like. Yeah, you, you, you're going to make an inland empire with it? Hey, everyone, if you're joining us now, um, it has been uh, four days since uh, we talked about um, Sancho the Bailiff. Yeah, uh, that that recording, which I think I think if you look at your timeline uh, on your podcatcher, we're at about ninety minutes. Was um a raw uh, the raw recording I edited was three and a half hours long, and that came from a recording session that was if you count time we were there in person four hours. Yeah, uh, and if you count what the backup recording in my computer <laughs> thinks it was was eleven hours. Uh, as I told Finn. I woke up the next morning having forgotten uh, to turn off the um, backup recording, which is just, you know, garage band in my computer. Yeah. Um, and, and I genuinely, like, half awake was like, Jesus Christ, did we actually speak for nearly half a day? Did we do a 12-hour day <laughs> on Sancho the Bailiff? Which, I want to be clear, you could do. Yep. Like, Sancho the Bailiff is something that I think you could Star Wars minute. Or um, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, um, but but just to bring you back up to speed, in that time, the Guardian published its um, Shrek is bad actually piece, which yep. is r- 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 written by Scott Tobias, yep, the, the, the AV Club and yep. the Dissolve, the good film writer, and of course he got heavily ratioed on that because if there's one thing the internet cannot stand, it is professional film critics expressing opinions publicly about films I thought we had all agreed are chiming in a nostalgic way, but when you realise they are ultimately Jeffrey Katzenberg, a spoiled, malevolent rich man who wanted Woody and Toy Story to be a dick, um, going like, fuck Disney for firing me just because I made all of their work worse. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's literally a film that starts with All Star and ends with Hallelujah and makes no sense. Well, no, no, no. It, it, it starts with All Star and, and ends with I'm a Believer. Oh, uh, with Hallelujah in the middle. Yes. And so I think we can, and, and I want to be clear, I am not saying Shrek is bad. I remember I, when I saw Shrek the first time on my own, because I was, of course, uh, 14, so the way I, I, I spent my time when other people would be socializing was seeing films on my own and going to one or two specific exhibits in Te Papa, sitting in the corner and reading, that's right, let's set together Doctor Who spin-off <laughs> novels. Um, I was like, I, got it, I, I saw it again the next day. Like, it, really? It, it, was, it was funny. Shrek, yeah. It, it's mm. like, but I was, I was 13, 14, you yeah. know? I think it's good fun. But what it is not is good yeah do you know what i mean and that's not i it's not me saying it's bad but it's not a good film yeah but the whole of the internet is being like how dare this person attack this crashly commercial exercise and pointing at disney and being like huh 
fairy tales, huh? Not like our fairy tale, which is the same fairy tale. Yeah, when when when, when I saw that when I, when I saw the Guardian's tweet last night, I read the article. It had uh, like fifty eight quote tweets and uh, uh, four likes. I gave it its fifth like. Yeah, and it just if you disagree with him, good. But like, do you really think Shrek? Like no, and there are people who are really into Shrek. I think for really good and valid reasons. I think there are genuinely interesting things in Shrek to engage with and respond to, and there are interesting aesthetic moves that make. Yeah, and there, there are people who get uh, turned on by the idea of a dragon fucking a donkey, and like that's fine as long as it is consensual. Yeah. You know, as long as they're both sapient, sentient, and consent, and like. As long as you're not hurting someone, directly or indirectly, it's genuinely fine to be aroused by almost anything, with one exception, and that is if you are a film director masturbating to your own film. But but anyway, this all led me to uh, the following piece of information on Shrek's Wikipedia page, um, and, and to say a sequence of words I don't think has anyone said before is that this trivia piece from the wikipedia page has only grown my respect <laughs> for the actor nicholas cage it's under the subheading casting nicholas cage was initially offered the role of shrek but turned it down because he did not want to look like an ogre <laughs> in 2013 i know that's that seems like a nicholas cage thing to do right yeah. like he uh, he's probably in a castle quaffing wine that's deliberately dyed to look like blood um, while reading his vintage comic, oh, he had to sell a lot of those. In one yeah, of his yeah, he did. Which is and and his T Rex skull, like which member of T Rex? Mark Bowler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, <laughs> turns out Nicholas Cage is a grave robber. No, no, he's a resurrectionist. Grave robbers start killing people. I'm just checking. Mark Bowler is alive. I'm pretty sure he's dead. Oh yeah, he would. He died at. 30. Oh shit! Yeah, so so Nicholas Cage has had that skull for ages. When did when? Okay, so he sixteenth of September nineteen seventy seven. Nick Cage. So his his first movie was like his first like major star role was Valley Girl, which was like eighty four, eighty five. But but he he'd been in things since like the early eighties. Yeah, if you found out that Nicholas Cage at the age of thirteen stole Mark Boland's skull from his freshly laid um, grave, yep. you'd be like... Figures. Yeah, I mean, I wish he hadn't. <laughs> anyway, um, Mr. Cage, in 2013, he explained furthermore, when you're drawn in a way, it says more about how children are going to see you than anything else. And so I care about that. He didn't want to be drawn as an ogre because he didn't want children to see him that way. So that's actually quite a logical for Nicholas Cage. (laughs) But like, like, I understand what he's he's saying. Um, So, Finn. Yes. What is the plot of Danny Boyle's film written by Simon Beaufoy adapting Vicar Swarup's novel? Slumdog Millionaire, is it A, there's the slumdog and he ends up a millionaire. Mm-hmm. B, there's this millionaire, but he ends up a slumdog. All right. 
is it C? There's this dog millionaire and he's slumming it. Or D, there is a slum that comes to life, turns into a dog, and then kills one million people. Uh, uh, I'd, I'd like to take a 50-50 on this. Okay. A or D? Is it about a slum dog who becomes a millionaire? Or a D? Or a slum that turns into a dog and kills one million people? Hmm. I'd like to phone a friend. Okay. Who, who do you want to phone? Uh... Uh, Fr- Francis McDormand. Ah, okay. Making a phone noise? Uh, hello? Hey, Francis. It's Finn Sound Nicholas here from, from Shite and Sound. Oh, Finn, how you doing? Just hanging out here with Oscar, my friend, which I got for being so best actress. And oh, I yeah. when no one was angry on the do Sorry, that was your... Oh. That's your thirty seconds. God, she she loves to talk, doesn't she? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is that the least contentious celebrity phone call? We yeah, had? I think we got them pretty well that time. <laughs> yeah. I think the trick is just to to cut them off before before Iris have a chance to start insulting the other one. <laughs> okay, uh, A. I'm going to go with A. Okay, I'll give you give you your answer. Yep. Right after these ads. Welcome to Meat House. It's not where you buy meat. It's not where you buy houses. It's where you buy houses made of meat. And yes, this company is named after the negative trend song, Meat House. Yeah. Because we love early 80s and late 70s proto-hardcore. Hey, some people have a beef with our idea. But guess what? We're ready to milk that beef all the way to the bank. (laughs) Do you want a house made of silverside, bacon, or venison? Try other places. We only do chicken. <laughs> only soggy meats in these houses. Yum, yum, yum. Meat houses. Yeah. If you want a house made out of pork, go back to bringing home the bacon. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. So, Finn, I asked you, what is the plot of the movie Slumdog Millionaire? And you answered A, about a slumdog. Who becomes a millionaire. Yes. You're right. Yay. You've won 10 cents. <laughs> oh. uh, can I do the next question? Okay. <laughs> the next question is, who is the lead, who directed Slumdog Millionaire? Is it A, an Indian person? <laughs> B, an Irish person? <laughs> C, you, you mm-hmm. did. Uh, uh. Or D, no one directed it. It's like that animated film, <laughs> Wonder Park. Yeah. Uh, you used all your lifelines on the first No, no I still, still want to ask the audience. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not going to use that. Uh, I'm pretty sure I didn't direct it. It came out when I was like 11. Mm, so you're not ambitious is what I'm No, I, I, I don't think I was quite up to directing a uh, motion picture at that point. Well, I mean... It had a $15 million budget, so it's more a film than a movie, you know? Uh, I'm also pretty sure that uh, someone directed it, because uh, yeah. there is uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, flashy style in this film. Yeah. Uh, 
definitely feels it was put there by a person who had a, a distinct vision for how many things should flash at you on the screen. I'm going to say it was directed by an Irish person. No, but that, okay. Talk me through your thinking. Because this film, Slumdog Millionaire, yeah. it's entirely in India. Yeah, with uh, with an almost entirely Indian cast. Well, uh, uh, like, yeah, like uh, entire, there are a couple of, like, white extras. Yeah, a couple of the main cast members are, uh, like, are, are, like, Indian Britons. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, or at least South Asian. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I presume. I don't. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it seems to me, and it, and it tells a somewhat, the short story it's based on, the, no, the, the novel it's based on, Q&A, mm. written by an Indian man. Yep. Um, while adapted from a English, uh, event, uh, it was inspired by the coffin kernel on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. So I'm going to say that, uh, but so that altogether seems to me, like it, it would be an Indian It does seem like that. And we're in a, in, but here's the thing: yeah. it won Best Picture, yeah. so it was directed by a white person. Ah, yeah, okay. Okay, you're. I'm I'm locking in uh, B, an Irish person. Okay, you're correct. Oh, we're we're gonna have to bring you back next tomorrow night. So if you'll just uh, come with me down this back alley. Oh, back of my head. <laughs> Okay, sit down. I'm a police officer now. The my twin is the is runs the show, as you mm-hmm. know. That's why he he pumped you off to me, and no one could know the answers to those questions. A white person directing this film that was largely it's made, absurd couldn't yeah, have happened, and 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 creates really quite dark issues around it. I think. So tell me, how did you? No. How did you know the plot of Slumdog Millionaire? Well. Flashback, flashback, flashback. Yeah. And yeah, there's like 20 minutes of uh, nonsense happens and then at the end you see me like look at a DVD box of Slumdog Millionaire and I, and I know the answer now. And then it cuts back and I'm uh, out of flashback, out of flashback. And I'm just like looking off into the distance. Is because he's telling them, and, and with, uh, I guess yeah. Because he's telling them, but at times it does seem like he's just having. Yeah, he's just he's just looking off and having memories. Yeah, yeah. The the, the like fl- the flashback structure of this movie is like I get what they're going for, but I I really don't think it works. I I like it, and I like that it is three nested levels. Because there's obviously the interrogation, then yeah. there's back to the quiz, yeah. and then there is his backstory telling his life. I think mm. I think it works, and I think it is actually quite complicated. Um, uh, it, it is more non-linear than it than you remember it being, and I think it executes that quite well. I mean, the thing that I think uh, doesn't work about it is. All, all the flashbacks, most of them are built around questions that he's asked on who wants to be a millionaire, yeah. and it's like why he knows a, a a certain thing. And I think almost all of them take so long that you forget what the flashback was supposed to be about. And because and, all, all all the flashbacks are like ten or fifteen minutes long, yeah. And and then and then yeah. and then at the end of this ten or fifteen minute flashback, there will be like ten seconds where. The where like the the thing happens that he uses on who wants to be a millionaire, but that and, and like yeah, I guess it's like oh these just seem like minor points in his life, but then it all adds up to something greater or whatever. I don't know. 
but that is. but that is I, like you are to me you are there arguing with the point of the film yeah you know like i think that that they are kind of like minor details and then like the final because his final question is who is the third um mouseketeer and the answer is obviously ryan gosling mm. um with, with well the you know and the fourth was d'artagnan and the fifth was justin timberlake yeah and the fifth was count richelieu <laughs> And, and, the, the, and the sixth was Mia Jovovich yeah. in the Paul W.S. Anderson one. And the seventh uh, was... Uh, Percy Jackson. Yeah, and the, fifth, and, and, the, the, and the eighth was Three Musketeers. The Candy Bar. Yeah, it's, have you ever had one? Nope. Yeah, it's nice. But yeah, I guess this final question, who is the third Musketeer? And that is such a major element throughout his life, the Three Musketeers. Mm. Because uh, in, in his flashbacks, we meet Jamal, um, who in the present is Dev Patel, and in the past is uh, played by Dev when he gets older, and uh, as a toddler, Ayush Mahesh Kedika, or Kedika, uh, and as a, like a teenager is Tane Chahida, <laughs> Cheddar. There's two H's in there, I, oh, I okay. apologize. Um, and and uh, his. Uh, brother Salim, who is played by Madur Mittal, and Isharuddin, Muhammad Ismail, and Ashutosh Lobo Gaijuala. Ashutosh Lobo Gaijuala, and Latika, who is kind of uh, the girl, yep. um, who is Frida Pinto in the modern day, and Rubina Ali as a tolly, as a tolly, as a toddler. Um, and Tanvi Ganesh Lonka is a teenager. Um, they are kind of the three musketeers. They're this team. And, and Ludica drifts in and out, and they kind of connect and disconnect. Um, this idea of them as a trinity. And so, but leading to the point where that is the one bit of trivia he doesn't know from his life is who the musketeer is. Um, I Yeah, it's like the point is, is that he has missed he has missed the wood for the, the trees and the opportunity going on this show gives him uh, is to regain perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Am I reading too much into this film? Well, I mean, it, it could be argued that any reading into a film is too much. No, I it's mean... All, it's all just making stuff up. So that that's your stance on documentaries? Yeah. Slumdog, yeah, Slumdog Millionaire was nominated for like a hundred Oscars, mm. won like ninety of them. Yeah, uh, it obviously it launched Dev Patel uh, as a as a film star, and like uh, Avatar did its best to make that stumble. And he's he was coming off the back of Skins, but that that's kind of his. Those are like really his first two big things uh, yeah. of of any scale, and that's something that we're all kind of reaping, uh, in in a very positive way. With like, um, whether you love or hate the personal history of David Copperfield, it it is hard to argue with how nice it is to spend time with Dev Patel's David Copperfield. You know, mm-hmm. and, unless you're one of those people who thinks that it's just the it's just like a travesty that a non-white person was cast in that role. Yeah, but that's uh, um, unambiguously the wrong view to yep. hold. Absolutely. Um, and if you think that, 
there are major things throughout your life you need to heavily reconsider. But like, and, and like the Green Knight looks great. Yep. There is also, um, God, what is the film I am thinking of? Um, he is, he is in the Marigold Hotel films, yep. and like, like those films. Uh, I am not their target market because uh, I only think about death uh, all the time rather than constantly, um, uh, as its audience does. But like that is like it's like they, they do a very good job uh, of being what they want to be. He he's in Lion, which is not a film I love, but he's great in. Mm. He is uh, one of the voices in the English, the recent English language dub of. The Takahata film only yesterday, which oh, yeah. I watched recently, and it is uh, it's a good English dub, um, basically because yeah, it, it is 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 a adjust to living with ADHD. If I if I can watch a film without subtitles, I don't, even though I know I should uh, uh, watch that film with subtitles. But also, only yesterday, a Ghibli film. Let me just I just want to take a moment on this. I've got some pretty big news, Finn. Yeah, on this a, a film podcast. There's this obscure Japanese animation studio. They call them animes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, animes. Um, and anime. It's not just. It's not just Pokemon or mm. um, uh, you know, Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, some, sometimes it's weird porn. No, that's that's hentai. Well, you know, it's a like a sub. It's like a subtype. No, like it, it is. Yeah, like. No, it's too boring to get into. Like, no, that it, it, like they are like that. The terms we use are not in yeah. any way coexistent with the terms they use. Anyway, I've just started rewatching Olivia Assayas's film *Demon Lover* about a bunch of French people fighting for control over like uh, ma- ma- magic Japanese uh, demon hentai from the early two thousands. Yeah, it's a, a weird uh, techno thriller with uh, Chloe Sevigny in it and Gina Gershon. Oh, and Connie Nielsen from uh, *Nobody*. Oh. What a cast. Yeah. It's, it's a weird movie that is, I think, good. Yeah. But I was also uh, mostly asleep last time I saw it. Uh, yeah. But uh, but uh, I just, the, this this company, they make anime films. Mm-hmm. They're called Studio Ghibli. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, and they are, they're a real undiscovered gem. And you wouldn't know it. But they look like they just make children's films. But I think I'm the first person to notice that they are the craft is just exquisite, and they have this emotional maturity. They, they, they were the first people to think, "What if the cat returned?" <laughs> um, I mean, the very fact that the the cat returns is a spinoff of Whisper no, of the no, Heart. Uh, you know, they they they'd already had that thought. Uh, you know, like you really. You're really making a fool of yourself, is is what I'm saying. And I, I just think that more people should check out the Studio Ghibli thing, um, a company I personally have discovered. Yep. And you, you, you're, you're now the the main the main stockholder in, in Studio Ghibli, right? And um, not <laughs> not right now. No, not not right. I I I, I was. I. De- yes, de- depending on how. Um, <laughs> Look, we we, we, we Saki's all... last film comes out the the one that was supposed to be for the Olympics. Oh no! Look, look, you. We we all know that you greenlit Earwig and the Witch. I don't think Earwig and the Witch is bad. <laughs> I know, I know, I know you don't. I don't like I. Hayao Miyazaki is 
is absolutely within his rights and not entirely wrong in that clip that everyone has seen of him watching CG animation and saying this is an affront to life itself. Yeah. But like Goro, his son, who got into animation to make his father happy. Not to Oh to do just like spend time with him. Spend time with him. And and like and has like repeatedly said in interviews like, no, is animation my thing? No. But it 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 became the family business and it was literally the only chance I had to see my father. Yeah. And within and like Eowig and within that he is trying to find ways that like because the old Ghibli model, which was essentially make single films that can be big enough to sustain sustain a company for the next five years while mm. they make another film that might fail and with a little bit of merchandising in there is simply not possible anymore. Mm. You ha- like you have to shift to CG to a greater or lesser degree. And like the problem is is you cannot make Ghibli films anymore in an even faintly moral way. And not that there are really faintly moral ways of creating animation at all. Because it like it demands overwork from people. Like the reason Ghibli films are great is that Takahata Miyazaki and Third Man who directed Whisper of the Heart were workaholics who would redraw almost the whole films themselves. Yeah. Not Takahata. He wasn't an animator, was he? But like, oh yeah, no, no, no. But like, you're you're yeah. absolutely right. I'm I'm conflating them together. But like, yeah. they were obsessive workaholics. Yeah. And the fact that Goro Miyazaki is uh, having a life and merely making films that are good rather than great because he is not working people to the ground. Have you seen The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness? No. Um. There's a bit in that where I cannot remember if it's Takahata or Miyazaki is talking to some new recruits. And it's like, I want to be straight up with you guys. There's not really a path to advancement here. Um, Your job is to come here and animate our ideas. You have to be here for the love of it and the love of working with us and our ideas. And like, great. But also, like, Takahata is dead and that's tragic. The third man who directed Whisper of the Heart. I, I, I had time to look it up, is dead. And, like, Miyazaki has made about four films in a row that are, like, his black star being like, yeah. I'm definitely, this is definitely <laughs> my last one before I die. Um, To the point where, like, he's, like, the inspiration for his next one is, like, I'm, I'm, I'm dying soon and I want to leave something for my grandson. To be like, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 like, comparing that to, like, the, the major piece of communication we can ever know between Hayao Miyazaki and Goro Miyazaki is that after Hayao Miyazaki saw um, uh, t- t- Tales of Earthsea, yeah, Goro's first film, he wrote him a note and said, that was honestly made. Like, <laughs> anyway, um, but all of that information is new and I just want to say check out Studio Ghibli. Yeah. They're all good. I mean, Pompoko is hard to pass culturally because it's based on tropes that are not really present outside of Japanese oh, okay. uh, uh, or East Asian culture. But that's that's a problem with us rather than... It. Like, we just don't really have much of a tan- tanuki community, you know? Yep. Unless you're next to the classic. Yeah. But so Finn. Yeah. Now I've got that out of my system. Ugh. 
Oh no. What? Uh the the garage band recording is just an infinity symbol. But any anyway. Um so, so my point being <laughs> Slumdog Millionaire is a is kind of a huge film. Uh, mm. won Danny Boyle his first Oscar. Yeah. Uh yeah, presumably not his last, but currently his only. Yeah. Has he, has he been nominated for anything since then? Uh let me just take a moment to find out. Because I know he didn't get nominated for yesterday. Blech, what a stinker. Uh, uh, 127 and oh, all right. maybe um, Trainspotting was nominated for something. Mm. Um, 127 hours in Steve Jobs. Oh, right, right. And Shallow Grave was nominated for one BAFTA and didn't win, which seems mm. insane. Um, but this film feels big. And at the, like there was in 2008, this film was a phenomenon. Yeah. Like, it it was everywhere. It was almost a meme. It was a major piece of pop culture. Yeah, I, I remember my, my dad took one of my cousins to see it one time, and then when he got back home, he was like, well, I probably shouldn't have taken her to see that. Didn't know it was going to be, didn't know it was going to be that, like, violent. Well, yeah, and, like, and, and the two interesting things about how big it was are kind of how much it has kind of evaporated. Yep. It has is very little sticking power beyond like Dev Patel and and, and people saying Slumdog Millionaire sometimes because it's a fun combination of sounds. Yeah, and uh, and and in the of a show who wants to be a millionaire, which is now a big success in multiple countries. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah, and it did come that way around. Yeah, it's just like how the bucket list invented the idea of the bucket list. No, it, it invented the concept of death at all. Yeah. Did you know that before 2007 people were, it was like tortured colon miracle day. People yeah, were just people were immortal and then yeah. the bucket list was the original sin that doomed humanity. <laughs> <laughs> we, we couldn't have known at the time. If you could go back in time, if you had a time machine and mm. you could go back and kill Rob Reiner before he could make the bucket list. The one thing all historians mm-hmm. agree would can would have left everyone immortal. Mm. Would you do it? Uh I mean in 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 this uh in, in this alternate universe where people were immortal before the bucket list came out, uh, yeah. yes, I would kill Rob Reiner. Ah see, I would simply time travel further back, kidnap him as a child, and I would raise him better. So that he so would, he wouldn't make this such a colossal failure. Yeah, and I I'd hope to avoid. But, but see, I, as well. I, but see, I, I wouldn't want to like kidnap him and raise him better because then we might miss out on Spinal Tap. And so you want to make sure he's done his good work and then kill him right before he gets to the bucket list. No, I feel like I'm good. I with very little experience. Mm. I presume that you, you 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 think you could raise a child specifically to one day direct Spinal Tap, but not. The bucket list, yeah, 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 yeah. I think a lot of it would be me you, showing them the bucket list. Yeah, you're gonna read it, like no. You, you're gonna read a lot of like Nigel Latter books to tell you how to raise a child or whatever. I mean, I already do that, and I'm not raising a child. Yeah, I just love his folksy, faintly well-informed reckons <laughs> on how people work. Uh, he is really an example of how a medium amount of information can do like a medium amount of both help and damage. My dad's always been annoyed that Nigel Latter became the TV psychologist instead of him. Really? Oh, like like a little bit. Uh, then it's more than a little bit, right? Oh, no, it's like a little bit. 
Um, but the interesting <laughs> and the other interesting thing is, yeah, Slumdog Millionaire has has very much faded. Um, and the other interesting thing is for 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 how big it seemed, at least like in New Zealand, and I knew I knew it was big in England as well. It is also like an aggressive and confronting film in some way. Yeah, there there are like. It, it it is loud, bright. It cuts fast, and not in like a Michael Bay has six aspect ratios in Transformers Five way, but in a like Oliver Stone natural born killers way. Yeah, and like that's kind of interesting, and in how it because yeah, Danny Boyle is. What is your do you have a Danny Boyle take? I mean, I I I haven't seen that many of his films. I think I've only. Did he did he do Sunshine? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I've seen I've seen Slumdog. I've seen Sunshine. I've seen Yesterday. I think I think that's it. I yeah. Uh, I I I like Sunshine a lot. I think that one's uh, real cool and weird. I uh, despise Yesterday, and I think this one is uh, in the middle somewhere. Well, and like the interesting thing about Slumdog Millionaire being his his big moment, mm. especially coming a year as it did after Sunshine which is, uh, I'll say now, I think a much better film yeah. on almost every front, um, is that it, it is, if you go through his career, at least to me, kind of his first stumble, because it, he 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 met the world with Shallow Grave. Yeah, which, which I, I haven't seen, but I've heard is, like, really fucking good. Oh, uh, like, I yeah, no, it, it it's essentially a three-hander mm. with, Ewan McGregor, Christopher Eccleston, and Carrie Fox. Right, yeah. All giving, and like, yeah, they all kill it, and it is, like, there is, there's a grittiness, um, but humour to it, and it is, it's kind of in some ways boil at his best, because it's him with a very low budget, um, but still finding ways to stylize and be filmic, and then after that, obviously, right away, he made, um, Britpop terror act train spotting which is not a film i think is bad at all i think it's really good i think it is not a great adaptation of the book right if you want a good adaptation of the book pick the play or read the book but like that film as a separate unit is good and interesting and the biggest problem with it isn't in how it was made but how it was received in that it's a film that uses this almost music video high pop high-tech, high-speed montage thing to uh, express the euphoria of taking heroin and then juxtaposes it against the horror and pain of their real lives and what a lot of culture seemed to remember was Is just a bit where it plays lost for life. Yeah. yeah. Um, when it has to be like kind of both. And then there's A Life Less Ordinary, which uh, is his third collaboration with... Uh, Ewan uh, McGregor, uh, a film, of course, that I believe Björk wrote a song for, and All which right. is kind of like it's, it's like it's fine. It's him doing uh, a, a romantic comedy. Then there's The Beach, Twenty Eight Days All Later, right. Millions, and Sunshine. Oh, I've I've seen I've seen Millions. Yeah, all of which I think are just like I between eight and nines out of ten. Mm. And then he makes Slumdog Millionaire which wins him his best director Oscar. And yeah, this is this is where Danny Boyle gets his success, his greatest success. 
there, so at least up until this point, it's not that he was failing. But then it is like he follows this was like 127 hours, which eh. yeah, also got nominated for best director on yeah. that one. Yeah, I can understand that, but yeah. also like eh, trance, which is his first, I think, real miss. Okay, Steve Jobs. Which I, which is the the better of the two Steve Jobs movies? I mean, like it's, it's good. Mm. It just you want it to not be a play. It's like, are you just thinking because it's three continuous scenes? Yeah, uh, I, 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 I've, no, okay. You could not like so much of that film is cinematic and right. how it and how it plays off things. And but like I like Steve Jobs, mm. and then there's Train Spotting Two. Which uh, is is doing as good a job as being a, like as responding to the cultural, you know, mm. like. But it is like there's a real sense in some ways of it of like the current series of Red Dwarf, like people going back to the well and being like, "This is what you like, right?" <laughs> and then there's Yesterday, which is a film I like more than you, and I don't like it. <laughs> Um, but it's interesting that you call Steve Jobs think Steve Jobs is adapted from a play because that was his initial background he's a theatre director he's right, directed yeah. plays throughout his career famously uh, in, in 2011 he directed a version of Frankenstein at the National Theatre in London with Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller oh, where they alternated yeah. roles and there was like a train on stage mm. Um it's like it's good it's like a bit of a showpiece and then he went into television and then he went into film and but the interesting thing i always that i think about danny boyle especially in response to slumdog millionaire is that if i could just look at his films i would bet you uh you know 10 percent of my income for a year so at 10 cents um <laughs> I was about to try and work out what the... Re- anyway, I'm not going to do that. Um, that he had been... That he was one of the people who came through advertising on music videos. Like, he he directs all of his films in, in the way that, like... And, well, like, now it's the aesthetic of people who came from video games. It's, it, it's the bloodshot aesthetic. Yeah. Um, but it is just people who are so obsessed with texture and style and, like, let's stick a camera on that. Let's, you know, let's... Uh, uh, oh, let's do this upside down. How many fast cuts can we have? Which I know is a reductive way to talk about music videos. Music videos are in advertising. I mean, music videos can contain a lot of great things. I think uh, good advertising is, you know, like uh, being. No, I don't. I don't know. I'm, anyway, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so there is something, and I think it is the. Th- oh, also, like his most. Uh, uh, his biggest work, though, is that, of course, he directed the uh, opening ceremony for the oh, 2012 Olympics. Um, With Mr. Bean playing the drums. Yeah. And, and loads of, of Mary's popping. Yeah, and bringing everyone together as one united kingdom. Yeah. And or some shit. This is going great for them. Yeah. Never been more united. And if there's one thing you could say about the current administration, old Bojo's um, uh, team, is that there's a consensus on both whether they are good or bad and whether uh, they should live or die. Um, And I just want to say, 
Yeah, we, we, we've been doing this podcast for for a while now, almost coming up on a year, and uh, no one has yet uh, no no one has yet uh, uh, taken us up on our offer to uh, kill Boris Johnson. No one's done <laughs> yeah, it yet. That's right. <laughs> With a lo- long-standing offer of ours. It's yours. Mm, I think I I'm think, shifting the I've, goal post. I've, I think the first couple of times you were on board. <laughs> so yeah, this is the tipping point. Mm. I think uh, for Danny Boyle, I think he comes off a pretty clean run, um, if not a faultless. Yeah, and then after this, like cracks begin to show, and I think that includes this film, mm. um, because. Yeah, it's an imperial narrative. It's a colonial narrative, right? British people and an Irish with an Irish director, mm. but but like British money largely. Yeah. Um, and, and we should mention that the co-director, uh, who was also the casting director, uh, Loveline Tandan, who has not directed anything else, but uh, from what I can gather, worked a lot with the kids. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I had no idea there was a co-director on this movie. Oh yeah, they're like second credited. Oh, okay. At, at the end, it's just that uh, the the credits at the end are so hyper pop um, that it is quite hard to read. You read the names, but it's quite hard to see what their job is. Right. Um, yeah, you're too focused on everyone singing Jai Ho. Well, like Jai Ho is kind of like a focal point in that this is yeah white people coming to India to tell a story of how horrible it is there. This is not me trying to be like, you know, actually everything's fine there. Growing up in the slums is great. <laughs> being a slum dog, brilliant, because you end up being a millionaire. There's no violence, there's no poverty, there's no sexual exploitation, yeah. there's no religious violence. Um, there there are no. You can go sit on uh, top of the skyscraper while it's being built. Yeah, and, and what what more could you want from life? But then sweeping that into a feel good film narrative, yeah. of which this is like its poster, the phrase "the feel good film of the decade" from really? Five Star Review is bigger than is the same size as the title. Right? Yeah, because that's. That's not how I would sell this film at all. I think, no, but like the ending, this this yeah. romantic ending of like, they have gone through, the these characters have gone through all this horribleness. Jamal has, uh, Jamal has faced just adversity at every front. He has been uh, uh, sold. He has been like kidnapped and forced into slavery. Mm-hmm. He, he, his, his brother has, started working for gangs he's always the lowest on the totem pole and like to work at a call center yeah and no and he had to get people tea (laughs) and all of that and it is like this does to me feel like a film of imperialists going look at what we did but it's okay they could take their painful experiences in which like there's a scene where a child has their eye gouged out um, with a spoon yep. and uh, where there there are scenes that gesture very directly towards like child sex trade and children having to commit murders. Yep. That's all okay because at the end they can sing a Bollywood song yeah. and they can sing Jai Ho and they're hustlers, you know, and as, and as much as we disagree 
on the song um, Paper Planes by MIA, which I think is a banger, and uh, you don't like samples The Clash. Yeah. Um, and, and you think sampling is immoral? No, I think it's uh, when when the song Paper Plane starts every time, it has the exact same beginning as Straight to Hell by The Clash, and I think, oh great, I'm going to hear Straight to Hell, one of my favorite songs of all time. I mean, it's a song that I don't care about that starts. And you're like, I don't want to fly high like planes. No, I want to listen to this song about the like Vietnam War and people feeling bad about the like uh, about horrifying imperialism. Where yeah. And that, I think, is the kind of fundamental difference between you and me. You want to hear about the Vietnam War, and all I want to do is gunshot noise, gunshot noise, gunshot noise. Exactly. And a cash register noise, and what, and listen to MIA. Yeah. Um, and I, so it is, I think, the thing, like, what City of God, which I think stylistically and tonally in a lot of ways, the the film set in Rio de Janeiro, um, uh, uh, shows us is that like films like this can be made, yeah. Um, and, and when they are made by people, uh, within that world, uh, if you know what I mean, because there is the Brazilian film made by Brazilian people based yeah. on a Brazilian novel, um, and like. It is, it is like tone, there are, there are so many differences between them, but I think like the, 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 the plot and tone comparison is valid. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, like the, the, this high energy hyperkineticness to it. Um, and it, like as a way of looking at yourself, it is interesting. As a way of looking at other people, it turns them into objects. It turns it into... Like, the different, like, Danny Boyle shooting a scene uh, of uh, an Indian child trying to escape his horrible life by jumping into a toilet and landing covered in shit, it, is that it, he, he, like, he's never known someone who's done that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it becomes this kind of charming caper of how he wants to get an actor's signature, but he's covered in shit, you know? Mm-hmm. And it so it feels slight, and so it feels like the the heavy bits, and there are a lot of them, as we said, it's surprisingly violent. Yeah, exists to be like the the second movie we've watched for the podcast where someone gets electrocuted with a car battery. <laughs> the other being, of course, uh, uh, a day in the country. <laughs> um, no, that is uh. It's the one way you can make that Sean and Shenandalu worse. <laughs> it just flips onto. Oh man. Uh, anyway, let's not think about that. But it also, like, all of that is true. What I just said, I think. But it is also like the textual pleasure of the film, like its pace and energy. I still find really engaging. Right, yeah. Like, there's something really, like, the speed at which it goes and how much Danny Boyle knows just the right image to for just the right amount of time to skip through a narrative. Like, you could really argue that almost this whole film is a montage. Like, I don't think there is a single scene that lasts more than a whole minute. 
Um, I, th- I think some some of the some of the bits in in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire when he's being asked for questions and they're like pausing for effect. I think th- 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 okay, those last for like a while. And I would not like true, but I also would not be surprised if it was un. Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Um. Uh. What What do you think? I mean the. The things that this makes me think of the most is that there is a Colombian film from the 70s called The Vampires of Poverty. It's made by Carlos Mayolo and Luis Ospina, uh, who are two of the, like, uh, uh, two of the, like, uh, vanguards of the, of the Colombian, like, independent film in the, in the 70s. And, uh, it's, a, it's a, it's a fake documentary, uh, where, it, it it is uh, it, it it is about a a German television crew coming to Bogota uh, in order to like film all the poverty there so they can show it back in Germany and be like and like rate and like raise awareness about all this bad stuff that's going on in Colombia and it it, it is a movie that is it is the film that invented the idea of poverty porn uh, and and it is and it's this like incredibly damning critique of white westerners coming to third world countries and yeah. and filming them to like to like to to like raise awareness about it rather and instead of like actually helping people or just fucking leaving them alone yeah and yeah i, I think th- th- this this film is like it i think it, it falls into a, a lot of the you know pitfalls that that the vampires of poverty like kind of makes fun of there's a scene in uh, vampires of poverty where uh, the the television crew uh, sees a bunch of like uh, sees a bunch of like uh, uh, like a bunch of like little kids hanging out on the side of the street and uh, they they're, they're near like a pond and it's like, and they're like oh you know it'd be it'd be a really good shot if if all if all of these kids were like playing in the pond so they they, they make these kids like take off their clothes and start throwing like start throwing like coins into the pond to get all these kids to go into the yeah. pond. And like there, there are parts of this film that kind of feel like that. Yeah, and like even if, and it feels like, but there's nothing in like, uh, Loveline, the the co-director, mm. Loveline Tendon, um, did a great job casting this film. Yeah, and like, I think so much of the pleasure in the film is just that like Dev Patel is empirically a movie star. Mm. Um, and that goes through like so much of this film. The first half of the flashback, the first and first half of the second, the first act and the first half of the second act, Jamal in flashbacks is is toddler or teenagers, the mm. other two kids, uh, and, and and same with Salim and Latika, and, and those kids are also great. A like a real big connection to Sancho Dayu is how good the casting in both terms of kids, in terms of both acting and looking like the same character. Yeah. Uh, and they are, like, playing fully rounded people. And when you're, like, essentially tricking toddlers into doing good acting, um, it's, which is what you have to do, you know? Like, yeah. toddlers can't, just don't have the brains for it. I think they're fucking idiots. Um. And so, so much of the joy of spending those times is spending times with those actors. And, like, they have Anil Kapoor as the the host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. They have Ifran Khan as uh, the 
police inspector who interviews him, who are uh, massive Bollywood stars and are like obvious movie stars. Yeah. I think so much of this film is in casting and cutting. So there's no bit of it where you feel the exploitation that is going on. Like, because it is so good at being entertaining, it is only kind of in some ways in retrospect that um, you realize, at least as a white person, how exploitative it is, like, thematically. And like and like that boils down on story level. Like the end, the climax is like he 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 needs to phone a friend, and he phones a friend, and, and he and he phones his brother. But Latika answers the phone, and, and the whole plot hitches on that moment and turns. And like that moment is like freaky. How that <laughs> builds the plot to get to that precise moment, and yeah. how they cut the film like it sweats and creaks and groans. But because Danny Boyle is so good at shooting things, Chris Dickens is so good at editing things, and, and they're also good at acting things, like, it's only in retrospect, and the gloss of it is so great, which creates, the problem is that the gloss is part of the imperialism, of the colonial narrative, of making it look hip and cool in the way he made, like, he, yeah, like, that's the thing. Train spotting was him, like hip, cool, Brit pop, new labor, Tony Blair. This is great when you're on heroin, but when you're off, it's horrible. And a ta- and taking that thing that he was he designed to subvert and like shallow grave and, and the beach, um, use his stylization as ways to explore like mania or yeah. people losing their grip on reality. Millions uses his stylization to put us very distinctly in the mind of one character. Like, 28 Days Later, the whole DV thing is kind of the best execution of the found footage aesthetic because it's not a found footage film. It just looks like one. And so you get the feeling without having to have the characters always fucking, you know, without, like, without churning through reasons for people to leave a camera on. Look, there, there's there's lots of good reasons that you'd keep a camera running while being chased by zombies. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yep, go. N- okay, name five. Uh, One. Uh, you want to make a documentary about the zombies. Uh, number two. Uh, 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 the, the camera is... Uh, the, cam- the camera's bolted to your hands like in Guns Akimbo. Uh, lens Akimbo. Yeah. Uh, Len- lens Akimbo. Sorry. <laughs> three? Uh, three. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I will get back to you on three, but I just need the listeners to know that while thinking just then, your eyes genuinely rolled back <laughs> in your head like you were trying to summon it from it. Uh, number three, uh, you're wearing Google Glass. Uh, and oh, yeah. All those Snapchat glasses. What are those? Snap spectacles that they made, which were glasses that had cameras on both sides that you could record Snapchat with. Mm. Uh, they did not succeed. No, of course they didn't. Because people don't want cameras in their glasses. <laughs> Uh, number four, like you, you, like you, you're just a voracious cinephile. <laughs> uh, and if there's a, it's thing a, it's I a know, joke I saw from a flop house. If there's a thing I know about voracious cinephiles, 
is that they're very good at making films. Mm-hmm. Five. Could, five. Five voracious cinephiles who are good at making films? No, no. Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, Bong Joon-ho. Uh, I guess I guess that's all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Hmm. Peter Bogdanovich oh, calling you, in here. I just you, want to say I'm crying right now. Hey, so, 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 sorry, Peter. I've never seen any of your good movies. I've, o- I've only s- so you've not seen any of my movies. <laughs> I- I've, I've, I've only seen uh, that one with Barbara Streisand. Ah, yes, it's very good. That one with Barbara Streisand. Love yeah. working with that. I just want you to know that you have hurt my feelings. Yeah, you. And if Orson Welles was here, <laughs> who I knew, I don't, I don't mention it, but I knew Orson Welles. I, he would say, I don't like that film. I'm Orson Welles. Yeah, well, you know what, Peter. Orson's fucking dead. That's what he wants you to think. Uh, he's right behind me, isn't he? Yeah. Uh. Anyway, so um, and the the we uh, we're going to include Peter Bogdanovich in the the last of Russian cinema who's also good at making movies. Uh, Roger Ebert, who wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Good movie. Okay, in the fifth reason, you would be filming zombies. So the 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 fifth reason you would be filming zombies is a. Uh, you uh, work for the TV show Intervention, and uh, it's a zombie intervention. Yeah, you want to let the zombies know, like, like how how like how their actions are affecting other people. The and 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 like even in like Jobs, Steve his Steve Jobs film. It's in three sections. The well, first- no, it's Steve Jobs is a Steve Jobs film. I, I jo- said Jobs, and then I reconnect. Re- you, you you said Jobs, his Steve Jobs film. Uh, yeah. J- Jobs was it was the Ashton Kutcher one. Yeah, directed by someone maybe. And then there's of course the I think like College Humor deliberately made like a half hour version so they could call it the first Steve Jobs film to because oh, right. the other two. Um, but like the first act of that is shot on sixteen mil, then thirty five mil, then digital. Um, across the three acts of the the three sections of the film, right. Which like speaks to an engagement with like how format feeds into things, and so he knows like how to he not only has he got a style, he knows how to use it, mm. and yet in this, with the exception of the stuff that is shot in a game show studio, which is shot to look like that, all of it is in that heightened mode, yeah, and that heightened mode diminishes. I think just to complete that long thought, I've spoken a lot. What do you think about Slumdog Millionaire? I don't like. I, I, I think I I don't really have that many thoughts about it. It it just sort of washed over me. I was like, yeah, I get why this one best picture. Yeah, it's, like it's like it, it's it's a movie that's like challenging, but in a not particularly challenging way. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's a movie that like. With the violence and the flashiness of the style, and yeah. and being set in a like in a crazy place, you know, it it it, it seems like it's a a much like stranger and more difficult movie than it actually is. But it's telling a very it's telling an incredibly conventional story. Yeah, and it's easily digestible by pretty much everyone. Yeah, and and like the fact that it's easily digestible is a triumph of craft of of craft. Yes, yeah. they've deliberately made it more complicated than it than it. Um, needs to be, and, and they have delivered that very. Uh, the fly is back. Um, oh, but, oh, our old nemesis. <laughs> oh no, there, there was there was a bee that one time. <laughs> uh, yeah, 
Um, and that 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 was that was on the Spirit of the Beehive and B movie episode, yeah. right? That was crazy. <laughs> 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 that is like, can I tell you one of the like? I don't know. You know how there are really quite innocuous things occur, and just how they speak to the the dank emptiness of other people's lives. <laughs> And they just fill you with sadness. I was once uh, in, in in someone's office uh, and a man was doing some photocopying mm. uh, at his photocopier and it was, and it was already going. He did not need to do anything. Right. And then his phone rang and so he just needed to walk over to his desk and pick up the phone. But on the way he said, oh, it's just madness around here. It's all go. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, this is, then again, if I had to photocopy something and answer a phone call in one day, I would... Uh, you, you, you would self-immolate. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I would simply fall apart. <laughs> like, I think every single one of my atoms would debond uh, and you would find me like a pile of, like, meaty sand. Yep. Like, 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 like an extra on the earrings of Madame Dare. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We're, we've got... Those those are horrific extras in Madame De who realized they were fictional yeah. <laughs> and evaporated into, into pure light. Um, and yeah, it like I think it is like responding to 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 create to to art for me is always as I've said before is like, um, what is it doing? On a what is it trying to do? Does it do it well? And is it worth doing? Yeah. And like, I think Slumdog Millionaire answers the middle question. Does it do it well? Yes. Yeah. And it is just that the other two, the first one is like, kind of, and should it be doing it? Is it worth doing? Is like, if this was a Bollywood film, maybe, yes. Bollywood would never, at least like traditional big mainstream Bollywood would never go this in depth mm. but at least it would be interesting and not as colonial a narrative you know yeah. this isn't like an indian made film but like the there's a very good uh, documentary made by louis mall which is called yeah. calcutta which is a documentary about the history and present of calcutta uh, which which he made by you know just going out on the streets of calcutta with a, with a camera and th- that that is a movie that is very aware of the fact that it is a like wealthy foreigner Going out and filming like poor people, yeah, and I think I think what what I think more 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 does a lot of very interesting things to like to like recognize that and ne- never to shy away from it, but to like t- take advantage of it in the places where it can help the film and to like and and to make sure that that you as an audience member never forget like how how like how like essentially colonial what he's doing is yeah there is this very good thing where like anytime he's out filming on the streets uh there are people staring into the camera incredibly suspiciously all the time because like and like most most films where you have where you have like people shooting out on the streets they would cut out the part where these random passes by look into the camera yeah but more like they they saw me they they know that i was watching them me being there changes things yeah and like we 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 can't ignore that but he he also does a very good job of like talking about the the history of the city and how it is linked with colonialism and and not just showing poor people and not just showing rich people but like showing how the city functions as a whole 
and Slumdog Millionaire. I mean, from its name, it's it's mainly focused on like poverty and and slums, and it, it it but not not in a particularly deep or comprehensive way. I don't think. Like you 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 see them like living in the slums a little bit at the beginning, and they're going to school, and it's not great. But then there is a like religious riot, and they get forced out of their homes within like ten minutes of the movie starting, and then they're just like on trains for the rest of it. Yeah, how the filmmaker positions themselves in the work seems to me to be the key yeah. to it. Because, yeah, Boyle positions himself as outside this, as an aesthetic being applied. Yeah. Uh, and, like, as you say, like, Mal recognizes himself and puts himself through them seeing him into it. And, like, Sancho Deyu, Mitsuguchi is, like, by some by 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 speaking not to his culture in the present, but his culture in the past, so he can speak to his culture in the present. He is um commenting on himself and and, and the people in his class. Yeah. Like yeah, he he has a, a very strong view of what this film is about yeah. and how it is about it and what the film means. And and how that relates to like him and his relationship with the film yeah whereas like you can't just like slumdog millionaire lives in a world where it's just a story it's just a film mm. you know and and that is simply impossible and does not exist and is the reason i think it's shite yeah but it's like having said all of that it's good fun yeah it, 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 it is it is a a like like technically well made and yeah. well acted film, and like as it one best picture for a reason. It it, it is it is very watchable, and, and it yeah, and it's just sad that like like it would never have happened. But like you know, Danny Boyle should have won for for Sunshine or or Train Spotting or or Twenty Eight Days Later or Millions. You know, it is just it's it's sad that it is that he was recognized at the point where he became a little sociopathic mm. in style, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I would also agree that it is uh, shite. But like... But, 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 like, but like, sort of marginally shite. Yeah. And all of his... Like, the point I want to end on in terms of Boyle is, like, all of his films are interesting and worth watching. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen Alien Love Triangle, which is the short he made... <laughs> that was supposed to be part of, like, an anthology film, but the other two parts became, like, Mimic and another film called Imposter. And so it's just, like, a 30-minute a short film he made that came out the same year as Slumdog, but he made in the 90s. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, uh, uh, I've not seen that. I don't know whether that's interesting, but the rest are good. And I'm, like, I'm looking forward to Methuselah. Like, he, like, he is very much in... in, in Somewhat in the um, complete the thought brain, the Ridley Scott place where you're like, uh, okay, a new one, sure, but also, like, if he knocks it out of the park, it could be the best film of the year, you know? Yeah. Okay. So you first. Yeah. Uh, would you like to hear uh, a a a five star review of Slumdog Millionaire from Letterboxd? I mean, I'm 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 yes. But I am worried. So, this is from a Letterboxd user, Christina D. 
It is a class film. Narrative structure is so clever and what, so like 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 the answers in the quiz. Oh, yeah. right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, narrative structure is so clever and pulled off so well. Using game shoe questions to tell the story of an orphan in the slums of Mumbai. It sounds crazy, but it's genius. Danny Boyle deserves the Oscars. I I rewatched it today after years of not seeing it, and it's better than I remember. Yeah. Okay. It it just feels like someone who is just slightly unaware of how the world works. Or like, you know, like... Do you want to try and guess Christina's top four films? Yeah. Okay. Is one La La Land? Nope. Oh, yay! I I, I personally went with one that didn't have La La Land. (laughs) Okay. Is one The Lion King? No. Beauty and the Beast? No. Okay. There, 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 are, there are no Disney movies. Ah, okay. uh, I would. Uh, I, I haven't seen one of them, but I would yeah. say that, uh, all of them are good. Oh wow! Uh, the the first love one, exposure. Uh, there, there is a movie set in Japan. Lost in translation. Yeah. I mean that. Yeah, that's a film of performance in a theater. There is one film that is not set in Japan. No, it is set in South America. But the the cast is all Asian, or at least part part of it is set in South America. Is this obvious? I've never seen this. I've never seen anything by this director, but I've uh, heard only good things about them. Is that is that a Takashi Miike film? No. What? Uh, it, it is by a Hong Kong director. So is it a Wong Kar Wai? Yeah. What? You'll tell me, and I'll let. Mm. Not de- okay. What decade? Nineties. Uh, Days of Being Wild? Am I just really misremembering Chunking Express? I don't know how much of it takes place in South America, but just like from, from, from the description, it says that two people take a trip to South America. Yeah, no, t- uh, tell me. Uh, it is Happy Together. Oh, fuck, of course. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, sorry. Okay. I just forgot that film existed. Right. Um, great. Check out, yeah, so Wong Kar Wai, uh, just to, to really bring another scoop to this film podcast, Brilliant. I think I'm the first person to notice those films mm. peerlessly beautiful. And if I was making a film about a snarf um, called Lady in the Water, I'd get the same cinematographer and but make sure that yep. he could really shoot Freddie Rodriguez's character who is only working out one arm on his body. So uh, the the next film, uh, uh, oh, it's got Robert De Niro in it. Uh, okay, is it the internship? No. Analyze this. No. Analyze that. No. Okay, you think they're all good? Um, Raging Bull. No, it's not. It's not a Scorsese. Ah. Now this is not a Robert De Niro film, but he's he's yeah he's yeah. in it. Ah, meet the parents. No. Meet, meet the, the fuckers? fuckers. No. What's the third one? Uh, Little Fockers. Little Fockers. Nope. Okay, a film that Robert De Niro is in, but it's not Shark Tale? No. It's he, not animated? No. Um, uh, Although it is directed by someone who uh, who got famous originally doing animation. John Carter? No. No. Tomorrowland? No. Who got famous doing animation? I should know this, right? Yeah. It's obvious. Is it Adamson or Bird? No. Who got famous doing animation and isn't Adamson? And so it's a live-action film. Yeah. It's from the 80s. A dystopian film. Ah. Um, it's Brazil, of yeah, course. it's of Brazil. Course. Man. Good. Good film. Yeah. And uh, good clues as well. Uh, and this, this last film, 
is shot almost entirely in uh, one famous New York apartment building, the Dakota, I think. Is this a Scorsese? No. no. Pie? No. Oh, God, I know this as well. New York apartment building. Is it the apartment? It no. is not. It's not a wilder. Okay. Films, and there's no Scorsese on the list? No. No, okay. Oh, um, one other clue. This is not a, a big clue, but what, there is a doctor in the movie... Uh, who was played by Charles Grodin, who just uh, uh, who just passed away today. Huh. Yeah, that doesn't help me at yeah. all. Um, I just wanted to mention Charles Grodin, because he's uh, uh, yeah. incredible. Do you think I've seen this film? Uh, absolutely. Oh, fuck. You've got it logged on Letterboxd. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it is a movie uh, co-starring John Cassavetes. Is, uh, um, is it a Roman Polanski film? It is. It is. It's Rosemary's Baby. Yes. Yeah, okay, okay. I just forget how much of that is in the house. Yeah, like all of it. I really, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Like, I now I just was really losing. Is that film good? Yes. Yeah. It is just made by a bad man. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. I mean, no, I was being like equivocating. Like, he hasn't apologized or recognized what he's done. No. What he did was wrong. Um. So, no, he, he's not one of those, like, oh, people can change <laughs> things. Um, so, what are you watching next week, Finn? So next week, we are watching a like four hour long French film called The Mother of the Whore, directed by uh, Jean Eustache yeah. and uh, starring everyone's favourite uh, Francois Truffaut stand-in Jean-Pierre Lourde. And uh, with that, we are watching the uh, Blake Edwards, Dudley Moore bigamy uh, comedy, uh, Mickey <laughs> and Maud. Uh, yeah, I, I've, I've not seen either. No. I'm I'm gonna try and watch uh, a bunch of of other Jean Pierre Lord movies uh, before Friday. I'm gonna see if I can get all of Out One done before Friday. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna try and get. Uh, you gonna do all those Derek and Clive albums on repeat? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, I. Well, I've got one on vinyl if you want to borrow it. No, I've I've heard them and that's enough. <laughs> no, um, John Nostash's other film, which is uh. Other feature he's made a, he made a bunch of shorts but uh, my little loves my petit amoroses amoroses um, mainly because it is uh, merely two hours long Ooh. rather than is it three and a half or four and a half it's uh, it, something it's, and a half I, 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 oh, I think yeah, it's only three and a half oh only yeah only, and do you know how much of the I people love this film yeah. But uh, I, uh, once again, was scrubbing through it to find a screen cap ahead of time. And it it looks like a lot of talking. Oh, and it is one of those things where I'm like, is this a film that today could be a podcast? <laughs> and we can talk about our uh, experience with threesomes, which mm-hmm. we both have loads R- regularly. of. Regularly. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> um. We can we can talk about how in the Squid and the Whale, Jesse Eisenberg's character has a mother in the hall poster, and it's a bat on the nose. Mm-hmm. I I think I think the Squid and the Whale is like ninety nine cent rental on iTunes at the moment, so I might try and watch that. Oh no, I don't have it on Blu-ray; I have it on DVD. Oh. Um, good. It's Peter yeah. Newman joint. Oh yeah, and it's got um Kevin Klein's kid and um Jeff Daniels. Yeah. From the newsroom, yeah, yeah, the newsroom, co-starring Emily Mortimer, 
someone a bit closer to our topics of subject today. Dev Patel. Oh, yeah, God, he is in that. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. I was thinking Dev Patel, and I was like, no, he couldn't have been in that. I know. Seems impossible that he was in the newsroom. It just seems impossible that the news... No, it doesn't seem impossible. No, that seems very possible. Like, we, 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 we live in a world where <laughs> this year Aaron Sorkin was nominated for Best Director. Yeah, which is... And Best Picture. And Best Original Screenplay? Or Adapted Screenplay? People just love Aaron Sorkin. Oh, hey, like, I, you are too young to remember how epochically big Epochically, yeah. yeah. as an oven epoch, yeah. the West Wing was, and before that, like a few good men, and to a lesser extent, American. Prisoner. I mean, like I, 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 I've, I've seen a few good men. I love, I, love, I like that movie a lot. And like, I, I was, I was big into the newsroom when it came out. And like, I, I, I got taken in as well. And Sports Night is great, and the West Wing is like Sports Night is the laugh track one, right? Yeah, which, depending on the country you're in, yeah. the first season they either did or didn't yeah. have a laugh track. But mostly, um, but like the West Wing, you can understand, is is like a filthy liberal fantasy of American politics yeah. based on a false idea of American exceptionalism. But the cast is so great. Yeah, and, and there's an episode where Penn and Teller do a flag-burning <laughs> trick. Yeah, and the writing goes down so smooth. Yeah. That it, it's very it's very easy to be comforted by in a way that makes you feel smart. Yeah. But it is very telling that of like the big shows with big fan bases from that era, like the people who watched The West Wing went on to like run Obama's campaign and, and uh, endorse and support a real drone happy administration. Yep. Whereas like people who were real into Buffy and Angel have killed all their gods and gone into gone on to riot in the streets for a better world um and, and the the first god they killed being of course joss whedon yep and all the people who used to like firefly now like oh wait so it was, it was just about the confederacy Finn. yeah and this final question oh no for one million dollars the question is where can people find you online Finn? the four answers we have are a at Ficulus. On Twitter, B, go into Google and search disgraced comedian <laughs> Finn Nicholas. C, who cares? Or D, you can't find me. I'm erasing myself. I will not even be on this podcast. Ha ha ha. Uh, C, who cares? <laughs> Ding, you've won a million dollars. Yay! And Jai Ho plays. Great. <laughs> no, let's hear your impression nope. of Jai Ho. <laughs> nope. Oh, he's doing the dance. I'm <laughs> um, doing it well. You can find the show on Twitter at ShiteSoundPod, or you can email us at uh, ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Yufa, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on all your various social medias as at YouthaLives, uh, mainly Twitter and Instagram. I have a fan page on Facebook, but like uh, everyone in the world, I no longer use it because Facebook is a ghost town full filled with your most irritating relatives. Sign up for my newsletter at for the Dean List. You can sign up at bit.ly slash Our theme song is The Nut. By Kazan Bland. Check them out on Bandcamp, and if you like the show, which you do, why not leave us a review? Recommend us to your friends. Review, uh, like, and subscribe. Share and enjoy. If you
feel like it. Movies are good, even bad ones. Go, Go watch them. anymore without someone getting offended and and storming off. God. It's pathetic, really. You know, I think it should be illegal to leave a podcast from recording. Yeah. It should should be uh, punishable by by death. Uh, You know, if I'm recording a podcast with you and you get up and leave... For any reason, I am allowed by law to get two of those like metal skewers that you use on like a barbecue and just like slam them like through your ears and into your brain. And I think if I was allowed to do that, would solve a lot of the podcasting based problems in the world. Like I could go on, I could go on like Joe Rogan, and then halfway through the interview, I could just be like, "Hey, hey, Joe, could you go get me like a glass of water or something?" And then when he gets up to leave, I'm like, "Well, he's fallen from my trap. Now I am legally allowed to skewer him through both ears." And then I get my, I, I like shoot my skewers out of my sleeves, or I've been hiding them like I'm in Assassin's Creed, and I stab him through his ears. But then it turns out they just go fully through his head and come out each side and and each of my hands gets stabbed through with a skewer because there is just just nothing inside his inside his dumb terrible skull. So I guess maybe that wouldn't solve that problem actually. But uh you know, I'm I'm the important thing is I'm I'm working on solutions. I'm I'm spitballing, blue skying, trying to come up with ways to solve this massive crisis of international podcasting. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's really what's important. <laughs> what were you saying? Yeah, you have to listen to me for stuff to find no, out. What were you saying? 